Hey, what's happening? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let There Be Talk. It is Monday, May 11th, and this episode is brought to you by my Super King sponsor, McGuire Harley Davidson. McGuire Harley Davidson for all your motorcycle two wheel needs. Located at 93 First Avenue, North Pacheco, California. Phone number 925 945 6500. McGuire Harley Davidson, the ultimate Harley Davidson dealer. A family owned operated dealer with friendly, friendly service. Need your bike to get a new tire or brakes or maybe a seat? Or maybe you want a new motorcycle. Come into McGuire Harley Davidson. Talk to my friend Ryan and his father for the rock and roll McGuire Harley Davidson. Full outlaw machine dealers. Woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil sends the beast with wrath because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. I left alone. My mind was blank. I needed time to think to get the memories from my mind. What did I see? Can I believe that what I saw? That <laughs> All right, man. Let's uh, let's get into the uh, episode. I uh, hope you guys all had a great Mother's Day. Mother's Day yesterday, uh, talked to my mom, and uh, shout out to her, love my mom. She took me to my first concert, and that's the reason I'm a lunatic. So, uh, yeah, man, if you got a cool mom that lets you uh, explore your uh, your art side without going like, what, what are you going to do with your life? Then uh, extra special mom you got right there because uh, it's, uh, you know, I can't imagine being a mom. It's just, you got to worry about that person forever. It's tough, man. So shout out to all the moms out there, except for the ones that bring babies to the movies or uh, on airplanes. No shout outs for you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a little Iron Maiden in the background right here. Six, 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 the number of the beast. I picked that song on, uh, on purpose because my new shirts shipped out and everybody got them. They loved them. It was the Del Razor 666 shirt. And I did get some emails, people that said, you know, I, I, I would buy a shirt, but I just can't stand behind that uh, design, the number 666. And here, here's what I say to that. Um, if you're a religious person, cool. Whatever you're into, I'm not going to knock you. It could be Scientology, Christian, Mormon, whatever. I've had different guys on here. They're religious. More power to you, man. I never knock somebody if they believe in it. But 
If you think that number 666 has anything to do with Satan or any kind of, uh, you know, devil worshiping or any dumb shit like that, man, you're living in the fucking cave. You know, it's hilarious. And that's why I put the number on there. It's so funny to think in 2015, a graphic with 666 on it can actually push buttons. I dig it. (laughs) It's like that easy, really? I can really push your button with that number? I don't know, man. Email me. Tell me what the fuck it means to you. Why does that mean the devil? Why does that mean Satan? Let me know. You know, educate me. I don't I don't know, but let me tell you, I'll tell you one thing right now. That means nothing except three numbers together. I remember when I was a kid and I saw the omen and they shaved his head and he had six 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 tattooed on his head. I was like, that's fucking dope. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Email me, let me know. But I I, I find it hard to believe that if you listen to this podcast that you actually think 666 has something to do with satanic worshipping and all that shit. But if it does, right on, man. I don't know. I you know, what do I know? I'm just fucking I'm just saying it's fucking uh it means about as much as 69 does. You know, ooh, 69. Your face or mine. <laughs> Numbers mean nothing, man. They re- I mean, you know what I mean? Whatever you believe in, right on. Just cruise with that. But, you know, those three numbers mean nothing. Enough of, <laughs> enough of that. I just, uh, it's just a, a little mini rant because it's just, I, I love all you guys, but I just, uh, I, I just don't know what that means. So I put it on the shirt on purpose. I love it. It's funny. I love Iron Maiden. I love Slayer. I don't worship the devil. You know what I mean? It's called fucking marketing. Those bands knew what they were doing. They knew the parents hated that. If they put 666 in a song or a pentagram or whatever, they knew the parents were going to say, I don't want you listening to that. That's the devil. And then immediately you're going to want it. That's fucking the oldest trick in the book. It means the devil. My parents don't like it. Oh, I'm getting that for sure because I'm rebelling on the parents. Stripe up a line of Coke, smoke a cigarette, put on some Iron Maiden. (laughs) That's how how it works, man. If I'm ever a parent, which I wouldn't be, but if I was, I wouldn't say anything like that to kids. And then they just wouldn't even care. Right? It's just like, you know, as soon as you say, don't do this, they're going to do it. That's some parenting from the Delray here. Uh, thanks for tuning in guys. Incredible guest today. Before I get to the guests, I just want to say yesterday, uh, this episode's late by the way, cause I just got home from being in San Francisco where, uh, you know, I spent like a thousand years in the city and never been in Davie symphony hall. I walked by it, drove by it, seen it every day, right there on Van Ness, big glass building. Symphonies going on, rocking out in there. Just never been in there. Uh, Mark Marin, who is one of the greatest people I've ever met, had me feature for him in there. Complete packed house. 
Looked like uh, you were at the opera or uh, maybe from Whiplash. Not my tempo! Looked like, uh, you know, just this most beautiful symphony hall. That's what it is. And uh, he asked me to feed you for it, man. I was, uh, I was nervous. I wanted to make him proud. And I wanted to hang out with him. I just love spending time with that guy. I learned so much. It's hard to spend time with these guys, man. They're fucking busy. They're working. They're, they're out there killing it. Him, Burr, Russell Peters, uh, you know, uh, all the guys. Uh, Rogan, these, all these different guys are out there. And you want to you wanna pick their brain, man, but they're fucking swamped. So to spend any kind of time with uh, Mark... It's just it's just gold to me, and I've said it over and over. But the amount of the amount of help, you know, that he's given me is just unbelievable, man. And I, I just I brought him up, man. I was choking. It's hard to bring him up because I got like deep feelings for him. It's it's hard. I'm like this guy, and then I just kind of quiver and like Mark Marin. <laughs> I mean, fuck, dude. That guy's like, you know, he's the Keith Richards of comedy. He's just badass. He's cool. He's the older brother. He's the fucking, the teacher you wish you had in high school. You would stay in school if you had guys like that. You know, he's the hip neighbor that's like, hey, kiss sucks. Put this on. He's that guy. He's everything, man. Fucking guy lived in Highland Park before the hipsters. And now, look, I can't even get in Highland Park. It's two grand a month. <laughs> it was unbelievable, man. And I, I, I say that. I've been saying that a lot. Like, oh, it was epic. And I just throw epic around too much because then it doesn't have weight. But this show was beyond epic, man. The crowd was fire. San Francisco sometimes can be, uh, it can be a little, you know, tight. Could be tight the room, especially on a Mother's Day. So I uh, opened with a homeless joke, tested them out. They laughed like crazy. I said, fuck, this crowd is ready. So thank you, Mark Marin, and everybody that came out and any kind of new friends that are tuning in now from that show. Thank you for joining. Uh, get into the episode here. Incredible guest today. It's part of my uh, Zappa my Zappa series, so I've had Scott Tunis, who played bass in Frank Zappa's band. I had Josh Freeze, who played drums uh, with Dweezil Zappa and hung at the Zappa family house for years. And then, of course, I had Dweezil Zappa, who's a friend of mine, an old friend, and uh, that was incredible. And now I have Mr. Mike Keneally. And Mike Keneally is a super... Super musician, man. Plays keyboards and guitar. He took Steve Vai's place in the Zappa band. And this is one of my favorite uh, stories I've heard, man. When you hear how he got in Zappa, it's fucking awesome. I met this guy maybe 25 years ago. Um, and Dweezil and I talked about it the day I went and saw Dweezil rehearse. Out in the Valley when Scott Tunis was in the band. An old friend of mine, Scott, took me to the Dweezil Zappa rehearsal. And uh, met him 25 years ago. This is how fucking weird life is. And then look, two months ago, I'm doing that show Baked with Brendan Smalls and Steve Agee at the Baked Potato. And look over, see this uh, 
guy just rocking on keys and guitar, burning it up. I hear his name. I go, wait a minute. That's that's that guy from Dweezil's band like 25 years ago. Here I am on stage with him now. It's so fucking weird how life comes full circle. It's bizarre. But I got to tell you, man, this guy's a great, great person, an incredible musician. He bought me uh, a Ted Nugent Cat Scratch Fever record, Mint Condition. He gave me some incredible Nirvana DVDs. What a fucking great guest. And he came down to the American Comedy Co. And we recorded it live in the green room one day. He's from San Diego. I love him. And you guys are going to love him too. Check it out, Mike Keneally. One last thing before I bring him on the show here. Thanks to everyone that bought shirts. Thanks for the donations out there. Keep those reviews going on iTunes. Um, and subscribe. Please keep the reviews going. It helps. Do not forget, Denver, I will be headlining June 30th through July 3rd. Please get tickets now, man. I really want to do good out there. I want to I pack it out, man, and I just want to have fun. I'll be doing an hour each night headlining. It's a short run. Come out to Denver. Also, if you live in Los Angeles, please... Get some uh, tickets to see Red Band and I and a special surprise guest. We're going to do a live Let There Be Talk at the Trepany House. And that is on the 20, what is that? The 20, uh, bup, 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 23rd of May. So uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Please get tickets for that. It's going to be incredible. I just want people there to have fun. Let's have a little party. We're going to do comedy and then do a, a live podcast. So Trepany House. Also this week, before I go, Sacramento, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm coming your way again, punchline with Mr. Chris D'Elia. We're going to come out there and rock it. That's this week. The, uh, what's today? May, it'll be May 14, 15, 16. So in a couple of days, I'll see you Sacramento. I love all you guys. Once again, thank you, Mark Marin. You rock. It's unbelievable. Please, people. Listen to his podcast, WTF. That that was my big break, and it's the awesome podcast. So go check it. Of course, I'm sure you listen to it, but I'm saying if you don't, go to iTunes and listen to Mark Maron's WTF and watch his series. It starts, I believe, this week on IFC Season 3. Tune in. He's pretty excited about it. He's proud of this season. He thinks it's really funny, which is cool. I can't wait. I was on the show last year. Uh, I love you guys. That's it, man. Light the candles of rock. Hey, what's happening? Thanks for tuning into another episode of Let There Be Talk. Uh, today's episode is coming to you from the American Comedy Co. I'm here all weekend in San Diego doing shows with Big Jay Okerson. And uh, we're in the green room right now, and my guest is Mr. Mike Keneally. How are you, buddy? Doing good, man. How are you doing? It's, I'm, I'm great. Uh, I'm so glad... You live down here, and I'm so glad you came to do the show because you just said you live 30 minutes away, which I'm uh, happy you made the drive. Oh, it, was, it was worth it. I, yeah, I just moved up to, into Alpine. Uh, like I, what is Alpine? About a month ago. It's, a, it's up near the forest, the Cleveland National Forest, like right at the entrance of the forest up there. Is that like some hippie, hippie stuff up yeah, there? It's, it's pretty middle of the road, but it's not far from that. You know? it's, it's like closer to that kind of you know, way of thinking. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Uh, all over, well, I was born in Long Island. 
Oh, wow. Uh, 1961. And then 1970, my family moved to San Diego for... Oh, so you're like a San Diego guy. Yeah. yeah. Did you surf and skateboard and all that shit? I didn't. I didn't. I was like, you know, uh, too uh, whatever, you know, just sort of inside my own head. I, I just stayed in, in, at home playing the guitar and, and learning songs and stuff like that. Wow, man. So I feel like... I'm, I feel like this is the Zappa, Zappa podcast, man. I've had Josh Freeze. Oh, that's cool. Scott Tunis. Oh, that, I, I want to hear that. <laughs> Dweezil Zappa. Oh, that's great. And now you, which is funny because you and I met about 30 years ago, <laughs> uh, maybe 25, whatever, during uh, the Dweezil rehearsals yeah. for that tour, what, Shampoo Horn? Shampoo Horn? Yeah, so that was 93. Was, was, was Joe Travers on drums at that point? Or no, was Josh, Josh? Freeze. Was still Josh? Yeah. So that might have been 92 or something. Yeah, right. Probably 92. Joe Travers was it was he the second drummer? He's the guy who who came in after Josh left. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> What's really funny about this whole fucking thing is I'm doing this show Steve Agee and um and Brendan Small do who Brendan and Steve have both done the podcast uh called Baked and we jam we do comedy and then we jam your f- uh, favorite song with the band. And there you are playing, and I don't even realize <laughs> that it's you that I I knew like from twenty five years ago. It's and and we did a whole show. We together. did a whole show. <laughs> then I left, and I'm hearing your name over and over on stage. And then Dweezil comes over, and and I said, "Yeah, man." So I remember that day I was at your rehearsal. And Josh Freeze was like a kid, and you guys are doing that 150-song medley. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, it was me, Mike Keneally, uh, Scott, Scott Tunis. I go, wait a minute. I just jammed with him last <laughs> night. It was literally like the next oh, day. The next day. That's yeah, okay. like two days Craziness. later or whatever. And I go, fuck. <laughs> I feel so fucking like, you know, like, it's, I mean, I would never recognize you had a floppy hat on back no, then. No, yeah, it was a whole other life yeah. then, yeah. You had, you had a look, man. <laughs> so... You're living in San Diego, and what gets you into guitar? Oh, uh, probably uh, Zappa, who I heard when I was nine, and the Beatles, who I had heard from a, a few years before that, from like when I was five years old. I was. I think it takes a certain kind of kid to hear Zappa at nine. Where do you hear Zappa at nine? Because I don't hear Zappa at nine. It, I had seen his picture. There was a record store on Balboa here in town called Soundsville. Right. And that was the hang. It was like as narrow as a closet and that was where you would go and that check out like psychedelic records and you know all the, the records of the time and we're talking 1970, 71. Right. Um, so like it's like a, a leftover hippie kind of hangout. Yeah, it's the last vestiges It's got of that. the black... Black, black light posters, posters keep on trucking yeah, the granny shit. with the middle finger remember that one <laughs> yeah, I, do. I love that one yeah no all that stuff every everything that they you know advertised in hit parader magazine on the page with all the posters on it all those posters were in this fucking freak store. brothers the, all that r crumb yeah, shit yeah, absolutely all fat freddy's cat did you get into all that all zap comics shit fat freddy's cat Got yeah it. i had an issue i love fat freddy's, fat freddy's cat. cat that was fucking funny that was really really funny <laughs> right no i mean digression uh, I, I used to go to the comic con 
which has become this huge fucking thing. Right. Um, in the 70s, when it was in the basement of the El Cortez Hotel, a much, <laughs> a much more modest environment than... Yeah, maybe like 50 center. stoners and nerds and stuff. There would be a couple Hot, of thousand people A couple there. thousand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So it was fun. That's even big back then. It was. Well, it was. I mean, it was It was like a heavy subculture, and, and you'd go there, and there would just... The, the main hang was the dealer's room, as it still is, but it was about 120th the size of what it is now. And uh, I was way into National Lampoon back then, and there would always be uh, artists and writers from National Lampoon at this thing. And I saw B. Cleban, who I was a, a big freak about his stuff. You know, all these weird cartoonists in the 70s. I loved all that shit. Yeah. And you get into Animal House? Well, I liked, yeah, I liked the that movie. movie. That was, uh, I laughed my ass off the, yeah, the first right. time I saw that. That was a lot of good movie comedy happening then. But stop, rewind. What were we talking about? Uh, just so we're talking about the record store. Yeah, Soundsville. And there was a poster of Frank Zappa in the back, the thing where he's sitting on the toilet. And, he, and uh, it was, you know, there's, it, there were different outtakes from that session. And this is a different shot, a side shot. And he has his face resting on his fist. And he looked fucking terrifying. I, I would look at that poster and just be really. Yeah, he looked like Manson, right? Yeah, yeah. He was frightening, you know, when yeah. I was whatever, eight years old. <laughs> so yeah, that was my first uh, connection to Frank Zappa was being scared shitless by this poster. And then I saw him on the Dick Cavett show with Flo and Eddie, and I was surprised at how pretty the music was, wow. considering how ugly they were. And, <laughs> and, then, and then the year after that, I, uh, the dude across the street, whose name was uh, Eric McGrew, yep. uh, said, I have this record you need to hear, because he, he recognized that I was a weird kid. He said, I, so I, How old was he? Uh, he was probably... 12, 13. It's know. always that guy, right, in the neighborhood? Because <laughs> yeah. that's what was me. You know, the neighborhood would be like, listen to this Cheech and Chong. You yeah, know? exactly. And you're, and you're like, whoa, they said fuck. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's you know, <laughs> yeah. that's what happened to me when I got my second Zappa record. But but when I heard this first one, it was from his album Freak Out. And there's a song called Help, I'm a Rock. Right. And he said, I'm going to play this for you. And, and he was right. It blew my mind. It was like the best. I'd never heard anything that good before, or anything that I liked that much, uh, and you know, and I was a freak over a lot of different music, but this just killed me, and that started it all with with Zappa. That's crazy because yeah. I'm 49. How old are you? 53. 53. I hung out with fucking tons of people that love music, and no one was ever throwing Zappa on. So it's a it's a certain circle, right? Yeah. It's a and and that's what I love about Zappa fans is the passion is incredible. Yeah. Well, you know that you, you've, you've been affected by something that is completely unique. There's nothing else like Zappa. And if anything kind of feels like Frank Zappa, it just doesn't seem as good, and, and you, you, you kind of write it off because you can hear it trying to be Frank, but it's, it's yeah. not that. You t- early Frank, <laughs> once you're into Frank, it's like you become a music snob, right? Well, yeah, it just, you're from, yeah, it does like I mean, you couldn't go time. Frank and Kiss. <laughs> well, I didn't, you know. Yeah, right. But but I know people who did, and and Frank and Gene Simmons were buddies. So you yeah, know, yeah. It all, it all it's funny like because that. most people that are on this show all say that Kiss was the gateway to rock and roll for him. You know that one record. I don't know, man. It's like I was I was already listening to, to heavy stuff when by the first time I heard Kiss because uh, I was into more you know esoteric weird shit. But my brother, who was three and a half years older than me was into fucking Hendrix and Pink Floyd, you know, really good early Pink Floyd and, uh, you know, Mountain and just, just heavy stuff. 
And I loved everything. You know, he he collected that stuff, and I collected the weird shit. But I listened to all of it. And, yeah, and it was, you know, by the time I heard Kiss, it just kind of sounded watered down. Of course, you it's, know, it's like I no, mean, you're I obviously hear... uh, like I think people that like Zappa at nine are immediately on an artist trail. You know, in some way, maybe they don't become artists, but they understand stuff. Like I wouldn't understand Zappa at nine. You know, I'm not saying I understood it, but it def- it just like hit some. It hit yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, and and I guess it raised my standards. But you know, your tastes are your tastes, whatever it is. And a lot of people listen to Kiss and they think that's you know fucking amazing, and that's great. You know. Yeah. And- I mean, now I listen to Zappa, and not Kiss. So it's <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, like Zappa, Steely Dan. I got. I- I got nothing against Kiss, but you know, just it felt, compared to other things I was hearing, it sounded it just didn't have enough strength to it. Yeah, know? yeah. So you, you you start getting into Zappa, and you decide, all right, I want to play guitar. Because what's amazing is uh, each guy I interviewed that played with Zappa, not each guy, but like Scott and even uh, Josh, who played with Dweezil, they all were Zappa f- freaks, mm-hmm. and then end up playing. You know, Scott. I mean, you know, he him and his brother were Zappa freaks, and then he ends up uh, auditioning for Zappa and getting it. Uh-huh. So you, you're, you're hearing it, and you go and buy a guitar. Where do you buy a guitar? Flea market down here? No, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I started playing. A keyboard was my first instrument. I started that when I was seven, and, then, and that was just because my father thought I should have an organ, uh, and that was a total surprise. But I, wanted, I still wanted to play guitar. So when I was 11, for my birthday, I got a, an acoustic guitar. And then like the, the year after that, I got an electric guitar. So it was just my parents hooking me up. You know? So you had a cool dad? I had a super cool dad. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. say so. Buying yeah. And it sounds like your brother was cool, too. He's yeah. into music. Did he play music? Yeah, he plays guitar as well. Wow. And, and the whole time we were growing up, you know, when we were teenagers, we had two reel-to-reel tape recorders. And we were uh, recording our versions of all this shit we were listening to. So we would, you know, we'd hear, hear the new Jeff Beck record. The fucking Wired would come in, and yeah. we'd like get off on that for a couple of weeks, and then we'd try to play the songs, and we would record them on the, on this reel to reel recorder. And I was playing, you know, organ and shit and guitar, and he was playing guitar. And I, I still have all those reels, all those. You know, wow, like, really? Like Thirty reels of. Dude, you should stuff. put those out, like, uh, you know, like yeah. these days. It's so cool. You could put them up on YouTube. You know, we got to we got to transfer that stuff before it crumbles into nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, what's your first guitar? It's an acoustic. It was it a brand one or just some? No, not a brand. It was a little like three quarter size little red guitar. Uh, it was called Harmony, is what it said on the. On the oh yeah, I know Harmony. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. had Seville and Harmony. Okay. Yeah, maybe those are like the yeah. uh, co- copy guitars. Yeah. Well, Harmony was was definitely like just a couple of notches above toy instrument level. But, <laughs> yeah. But I loved this thing. It had a, a mellow tone, so I, I felt good about practicing all the time. It didn't sound tinny to me. You know, it's like no matter what time I was playing it, it was like it, I was able to not bug people. So that was really cool. Were you taking lessons? I never took guitar lessons, but I did take organ lessons when I was a right, kid. Right, because you could play the shit out of guitar and keyboards, man. Uh, it's One thing I think about Zappa <coughs> or any great, great, uh, you know, strange style of music or whatever, or really uh, challenging music, you can have, you can be Frank Zappa, but you really need to have the dudes that can play, you know, I mean, no, without the guys that were next level shit, 
you don't have really Zap, you just have Zappa and his guitar, right? I mean, because he's hearing this crazy shit, and you have to have people that interpret it, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and but, but what he would do is he would, you know, throughout his whole career, continually brought together, you know, just different groups of players with different the energies and different playing abilities and whatnot, and he would always compose music that was suitable for that group of players. Gotcha. So if the if if he had a, a group of players like he had a couple of different bands in the mid seventies that really weren't about virtuosity, it got back to kind of a, a greasier R and B flavored thing, and, and right. that's what he was into. Yeah. And then you know, he came out of that, and and he formed the band that's in Baby Snakes, which was the first band with with uh, Terry. Uh, not well, Terry had been there for a couple of years, but Bozio was there. This was Tommy Mars, who was a crazy keyboard player, and yep, Peter, Peter I know. Wolf also. It was the first tour with them. So they came in, and it was like you know, hiring an orchestra to have those two keyboard players in your band. And Adrian was there, and Patrick O'Hearn was there, and he had a huge impact on the bass end. Patrick and, uh, and Terry really came into their own as a rhythm section on that. I'm totally Zappa geeking out right now. No, that's – well, you got to understand <laughs> – it's not every day that people get to hear Zappa stuff, you know what I mean? Zappa inside stories. And uh, the Scott Tunis episode was probably one of the biggest episodes of all time. Yeah, cool. And it's really funny because people are such fucking nerds. They'll be like, oh, he didn't ask him any of the right questions. <laughs> oh, no. You know, that kind of stuff. And it's like, hey, man. This guy's a friend of mine. We're just talking. <laughs> he played in yeah. my band. Mm -hmm. I'm asking the questions I want to know. Right, right on. <clears throat> so... Now you you you're you're learning guitar and stuff. What's your first band? Is it a cover band? You're playing in high school. What are you mm, doing? I, I actually didn't play out very much. I was like I was so into doing the recording at home with my brother. So we just like became like you know Steely Dan or something. Just yeah, like, you're like Steely yeah, Dan, yeah. just nerds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, totally. Just, what else can we add to that? Yeah, no xylophone. I, fuck yeah, just like all the overdubbing and just experimenting with with reverb and effects and. And tape speeds and running shit backwards and just doing whatever you could do, you know. You guys smoking weed and stuff? No, no, it no. Was a very, very clean middle class household. It was like my my parents were super straight. They were awesome, but it was a very, very straight. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. funny because people always think that Zappa was some loady. No, know? he didn't touch the shit. He didn't touch the shit. It's so funny. Somebody recently was like, man, I mean, he must have just been on acid the whole time. I'm like, no, don't you listen to the podcast? The guy doesn't do any drugs. No. no. And neither does the family. It, yeah. That's, well, I mean, it's, I can't speak to them, but well, I. Well, I mean, I, Dweezil, I, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, Dweezil yeah. is seriously clean, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's. Yeah, he didn't need it. It was, it was, and and he was real disdainful of it, you know. So, yeah. So when you get in his, uh, as as a sort of under his spell as I was when I was growing up. Yeah. You know, he was just like totally straight edge, and I was real susceptible at that point to that. Not that there's anything wrong with being straight edge, but I just lived a really really clean yeah, yeah. lifestyle when I was when I kind of like punk up. rockers that were straight edge. You know, they were like uh, black flag and everybody. Nobody partied. It was just about. Uh, clean mind and uh and getting some aggression out yeah yeah absolutely just yep. uh, yeah so it's just real kind of unsullied pure energy thing and uh and having you know literally having like the physical energy to execute that stuff yeah which is sometimes harder to muster up when you're fucked up so you're doing these recordings and stuff you're having some fun where how does the zappa 
audition happen? I mean, if you're not playing live, how are people hearing about you? And because yeah. with Scott, it was uh, a good friend of mine, Ed Burm. I was like, hey, I okay. read, I read in a uh, paper that uh, Zappa's looking for guys, the yeah. recycler or something. Yeah, no, exactly. yeah, yeah. I don't yeah and you're like, what? Yeah, no. That, that's Frank always said that his was the only sort of top shelf, world class touring band that anybody could get in if they could cut it. You know, it's, that's it's like, wild, right? Like, it, you, you're not going to call up Led Zeppelin and, and say, when can I audition? You know? Yeah. But, I mean, you know how it is now. There's about 50 guys in the biz that do all the work. Sure. So they go, hey, we're looking for this guy. Oh, call Keneally. Well, Keneally's out with this, such. Oh, all right. Well, then call such and such. And then yeah. get called. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Uh, well, I'm it's not all- sure I'm on the list. But, but yeah, I know <laughs> what you're saying. Well, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but at that point, no, I didn't have any sort of – I didn't have any public – uh, profile at all no one had any idea who i was but it's the same deal he he put out there was a message on his uh, information phone line that he was uh, on he was rehearsing with a new band right. this is late night you mean you could call like a, a fan line or yeah. something it was 818 pumpkin really yeah and you just call like once a week and see what's going on it's precisely yeah <laughs> and I love uh, this. And, and one week i called and they said for those of you who have heard the rumors they're true frank is in rehearsal with a new band uh and he'll be going on the road next year and this was you know that was total news because three and a half years before on the 1984 tour he lost a bunch of money and and there were, there were problems on the road with with the band and stuff and and he just lost his taste for touring he said i don't see the point you know, knocking myself on the head and, and end up losing you know thousands yeah. and thousands of dollars afterward. So I'm going to stop. I'm yeah. going to get this computer, the Synclavier, and compose music that can't be performed by humans. Yeah, it'll be played perfectly. You know, and no one's complaining. No one's on. And drugs. then he would play to the computer on stage. No, he he stopped performing. He stayed oh. he stayed in the basement and recorded music with this. Oh, with I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and yeah. put out albums of that stuff. And for three years, that's all you heard about. He was compiling live performances from his human band of the past yeah and that's when he started you know he was putting out a lot of music with with vi on it and and chad wackerman and scott tunis was on all that stuff so there was a whole string of records when he wasn't touring anymore but he continued putting out records by the touring band and then he just started concentrating on the synclavier so it just looked like he was going further and further down into I'm not going to do any more shows. And yeah, he kept saying I'm done. Just straight rabbit hole of like just rocking in the hills. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> and in fact, I had called him in 1985 when he was in the office taking phone calls. Yeah, they said you know call on Friday and Frank will be here taking calls. So this is two years before I was in the band, and I, I called up and I said, uh, you know, it's always been my dream to play with you. And he said, well, I'm never going on the road again, so keep dreaming. <laughs> this is this is an incredible i i love how you could call frank zappa because scott said the same thing he when he uh he got a phone number and he called up and it said this is frank zappa leave a message and i'll call you back so then he called him back and said scott was like hello he's like hello this is frank come down tomorrow to Burbank and audition. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. how fucking cool is that? It man? was cool. I think that's one of the reasons why the fans are so cool. The guy was cool, you know? Uh, yeah. No, it's, it, was, it was clear that he, 
I think, and I think it grew as time went on. He had a real special relationship with the, with the people who liked his music. Yeah, I mean, were you nervous when he answered the phone? Like, holy shit, that's Frank Zappa. Well, yeah. Well, what happened is I got a call, and, and like the secretary said, "Will you hold for Frank Zappa?" Uh-huh. And I'm like, "What the fuck?" It, uh, just like getting hit in the. And this is back when you had to be home at your house. Yeah, exactly. There's no cell phones or no, shit. No, no, you're I just chilling just, at the house. I and just happened to be in my your room. Your landline rings. Yeah. You go, holy shit. <laughs> I, well, I called on a Thursday and, and left a message with a guy who said that he would pass the message on to Frank. So yeah. I'm really grateful to that guy for actually passing the message on. Yeah. Because uh, he didn't have to do that. And the next day, a secretary called me and said, will you hold for Frank Zappa? And, holy fuck. I had never expected to get a call back. It was the most out of left field. I have no professional experience of any kind. And I called up Frank Zappa's office and I said, I don't know if he's looking for anybody, but I play guitar and keyboards and I sing and I know all of his music. Wow. And, uh, and to say I knew all of his music, and I don't know if I used that phrase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because that is not true. You know, I don't know every fucking second of every single song. But I, I get it. But, I had but a, you have to say that anyway. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to say I know a couple tunes. Yeah. But <laughs> I was familiar with every second of it from listening to every one of those albums over and over and over again. And because I, I stopped being trained uh, musically by a teacher several years before then I, all my stuff at that point I had learned from just listening to records so most of what I know musically was really kind of through the ear right I don't, you I mean your musical lessons on keyboards yeah I, gotcha. I, 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 I stopped taking organ lessons when I was 14 you can read music and you can write me right you yeah can, yeah okay yeah. gotcha because I think you have to read music to play in Zappa right well he was he was used to having you know certain usually one or two members per band that weren't readers right and so he developed a variety of methods to deal with that but I can read I'm just not like a sick sight reader you right know? you put fucking any Zappa crazy instrumental piece of music in front of me that I've never played before and i have to read it down it's gonna suck yeah but but if you if you give me time with the chart and especially if it's a song that i've heard a million times yeah like one day he he says i want to try this song mogio which is completely insane instrumental that's on uh man from utopia and it's like two and a half minutes of you know steve eyes playing a lead guitar and the melody is just ridiculous you know it doesn't stop so i spent a weekend with the chart because there's no way i could read it down but i you know spent all day saturday all day sunday working on the shit got it pretty good Came in on Monday, and the rest of the band didn't have it together. So Frank just goes, no, no strike that. We won't be doing that. <laughs> okay, so he calls you, and you answer, and what okay, happens? Okay, so yeah, yeah. He, he calls up, and, and, and he goes, hi, this is Frank Zappa, you know, just like he did with Scott. And, and uh, like inside, I'm going, holy shit. But I go, hello. He's going, so I understand you know all my music. <laughs> and I said, well, and yeah, I'm real familiar with all of it, yeah. And he goes, do you have any idea how many songs that is? <laughs> I said, "Yeah, they're, they're all right in the next room, you know." Yeah, and he goes, "I don't believe you. Get your ass up here and prove it." In three days, oh, yeah. prove it. Yeah, prove okay. it. Yeah, yeah. But the next, the next day, actually, I, I, I want you to come up tomorrow. I want you to learn what's new in Baltimore and Sinister Footwear Two, which is two kind of crazy instrumentals. Yeah, and I, I knew Sinister Footwear Two. I, I had seen Steve I play it on this MTV Halloween 1981 broadcast, and thought that. That was an insane piece of music, and I, I wanted to learn how to, to play it. Yeah. So I taught myself that. The other one, uh, What's New in Baltimore, which is just nonstop uh, 16th notes. It stops sometimes, yeah. but it's, a, it's like a long str- uh, string of notes. Now, are you auditioning on keyboards or rhythm guitar? Uh, on, I was on guitar and keyboard. So, he's, so he says, I want you to know uh, on yeah. both well, instruments. See, what, I, I, what I didn't know is that he had... had 
you know, he, he had a, a guy playing guitar and singing in the band, and he had another guy playing keyboard in the band, and they both left suddenly under, you know, kind of, well, the, the keyboardist was dismissed, and then the guitarist just kind of disappeared. So Frank had this, this void in the band that he needed to fill, and that just happened to be when I called claiming that I could play all of his music on guitar and keyboard. <laughs> so the timing was, was insane. So where do you go to his house? In Laurel Canyon, studio. Or did, stu- in, oh, the in, uh, uh, garage. Uh, no, actually, he was he was renting out a space that used to be Francis Coppola's Zoetrope uh, oh, soundstage, and now it's called uh, Hollywood Center Studios. Oh yeah, I know it. Yeah, yeah, in Las Palmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he had a huge hangar basically there, just like an enormous rehearsal room. That's dope. It was crazy. Yeah. It was, that was a kind of an unnerving space to walk into for the uh, <laughs> yeah. Because the only people in the room were Frank, is way, like, you know, football field away. And then, you know, at Bruce Fowler, who's the trombone player, was, was there and he was just leaving. And then uh, a guy named Bob Rice, who's a very cool gentleman, who's uh, Frank's Sinclair assistant for the computer musical instrument. Right. So I'm just like squinting way across the space. I and you're in see like a sound guys. stage where they do like full-blown TV shows or movie productions. Yeah, so yeah, it's giant. Exactly. It's huge. It's not like your fucking rehearsal studio at SIR. No, you could get three, you know, small airplanes into this place. <laughs> it's, 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 it's crazy. Um, so my brother's with me. He drove me up. Yeah. And I was in the back of the car all the way from San Diego to Los Angeles practicing uh, Zappatoons on the guitar, trying yeah. to play every... Frank Zappa song. You know? What guitar do you got at the time? <laughs> oh, it was a piece of shit. It was really not great. It was, uh, it was a, a, a pawn shop, red uh, G&L, kind of a Strat. Oh, yeah, I know thing. the G&L. Yeah, yeah. It had that strange tremolo that was like an upgraded Fender one. Yeah, but, it, it, but you know, compare it to any actual Strat, and it, it felt wanting. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was my guitar, you know? And I, he, I, was, I was grateful that he didn't just laugh when I walked in. Did you, know? you have an amp with you, too? No. He just said, you know, just bring your guitar. You'll plug into whatever. You know, you, there's a lot of amplifiers here. So Ike, you walk Ike up. Wells he, was in the band. I ended up, you know, plugging into Ike's amplifier. For the you amp. walk up, and he's standing there. And you got to be shitting your pants, right? Well, it's, it's crazy. I walked in. I had the guitar in my hand. I didn't bother putting it in its case because I was playing in the car. <laughs> so I just walk in. Like, he just looked fucking, homeless. Like fucking Johnny Appleseed with a guitar in my hand. And so. So the first thing Frank said was, hey, nice case. <laughs> yeah, that does look like, you know, like just a meth head, like I know, room man. rocker. Yeah, you I, know? I sleep on this thing. Actually. Yeah. It, it can, you know, converts into a bed. So uh, he just said, we'll plug into to Ike's amplifier and, and we'll go for it. And, and, and is, is he playing with you or is just you mm, on your own? He's, he's sitting on a stool. Yeah. And I'm playing through, the, through an amplifier by myself. He had been playing on the on the Sinclair when we walked in. He was, he was playing uh, a song called "Black Page," uh, which is a crazy instrumental that that he wrote. You know, just, uh, again, just like a barrage of notes, weird rhythms. So I, I, I plugged in I, and I started playing along with that uh-huh. just to show him that I knew that piece. Yeah. And then he said, "We'll play the two songs that that I uh, told you on the radio. I mean, sorry, on the telephone yesterday." And uh, and I had you know. I, about tw- 10 hours to brush up on these two crazy things. So yeah. I, I just did the best I could on that, you know, but it, it was an, enough to show him that it's not perfect right now, but I only just started working on it last night. You know? Yeah. So give me some time. It'll be, and he was like, he was like real interested in this because I was like a resource in a way, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it turned out that that's kind of what he sort of 
counted on before was like knowing his songs that hadn't been played for a long time and stuff. And he would suggest a song that maybe he hadn't played in 20 years and then, you know, just check, look at me basically until I started playing it. So, <laughs> wow. You, so you had to kind of be the floating encyclopedia of how the tunes went. That's, that's basically what the way he referred to me. He called me the walking encyclopedia. You know, and, and, and I don't say this shit to like, Oh man, I don't know. Check me out. It's just, I'm, I'm, I feel really fortunate that I was there. I did. I ne- never had like, the chops of a Steve Vai or something. I was just a huge music fan. I really loved music. Yeah. And I taught myself to play his stuff because I really loved it, you know. So I ended up being, you know, just sort of, there was a guy in his band in the late 60s who, if if I was like trying to sort of model myself after anybody, it would be this dude, Ian Underwood. Yeah. You know, he played piano amazingly well. He played woodwinds amazingly well. And he was able to provide, you know, a lot to Frank and, I wasn't in the band long enough, and I was too young and green to like provide that much of a service to him. But yeah. I, I did the best I could, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, Frank had a good time. We got along really well, and 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 uh, I'd like to think that if the band had stayed together longer, then it, I I would have found myself as a musician. But that, you know, that's one thing that Frank does is he grabs people when they're real young. Yeah, and they haven't totally found you know, what they are. It's it's inevitable. They're, they're not takes, locked into bad habits. Well, they're not locked into bad habits, but they also haven't like developed their style fully. And you know, there's a lot of just real specific things about just producing tone on stage in a way that really serves the piece of music. It takes a long time to like figure that out. It's just it's just a long process of of learning. And there's no way anybody that's twenty or twenty one into their mid twenties is I mean, Oh yeah, how old were you? I was twenty five. Twenty five. Yeah. So you play the piece and does he look at you and go, You got the gig? Well he what he did he asked me if I knew this song called G Spot Tornado. Right. And it's it's one that he wrote on the computer, so it's like not a thing for humans to play. And but and I hadn't learned that one, but there's another one on the same record. The record was called Jazz from Hell and it was mostly made up of these these computer compositions and the first song on that record is called night school yeah and i've loved this piece and it's got this long melody that's that's uh just really beautiful and it it is it it just goes for like three minutes and doesn't repeat anything and it's really really pretty um and i said i don't know g-spot tornado i know night school i can play that for you and he had the sheet music to it and he sat and he read it while I played this long melody for him, and, and I wasn't playing along with anything. Yeah. And the rhythms are really crazy, and the song has a steady pulse to it that you kind of play against. Right. But I had to play the pulse in my head and just try to get these figures as well as I could. And, you know, so I just play it for three minutes, and then when it's over, he looked up at me with like an eyebrow up and said, There was one wrong note. <laughs> I love that kind of shit. There was one wrong note. Can you imagine if you didn't get the gig because of that? Yes. I mean, I, I can. I mean, I know that there were... I mean, I heard horror stories about other, other auditions and stuff. Yeah. Steve Vai is a fucking you know, phenomenon, unbelievable player. He went in for his audition and Frank was... You know, what he does is see, he sees what you're capable of and then he pushes beyond that. Yeah. You know, and so with, with Steve, he just... And he already knew about Steve because Steve was was sending him recordings and writing transcriptions of his stuff. And, and 
you know, so Frank already had like a, a long distance right. relationship with Steve, and then Steve came to to play in the band, and he was like saying, "Okay, do this, do that." He's finally got to a point. Okay, play you know this in, in, this series of septuplets in eleven eight, but do it with a reggae feel. You know, <laughs> yeah, like crazy, you know? total weird yeah. shit. And at some point, he just like you can't execute whatever he's, whatever insanity Frank wants to hear. Yeah, and Frank's resp- response to that is, well. I hear Linda Ronstadt's looking for a guitar player. <laughs> he was basically the early whiplash teacher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My tempo. It, it never came to blows, but you know he he liked fucking with people in, in that environment. You yeah, know? but it's just it's, it's in a way it's a compliment because he's already determined that okay this guy's you know a motherfucker and let's see what what kind of fun we can have. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it, that's cool. So you play the third song, and does he say you have it? How no, does he well, tell you you got the well, gig? It, you know, he put me through my paces, and he and, you know he pushed. He, we we harmonized together. He put some music in front of me. There was one thing that I just couldn't read at all, and and he just like because my reading wasn't that slick, and, and he picked up the page and said, "Well, that's a fail." And then we, <laughs> we and then he puts another chart on top of the, a, a synthesizer and says, "Okay, play this." And it was a piece from uh, Two Hundred Motels called Strictly Genteel. It's a big orchestral thing, and. You know, I knew my, my memory of the song from listening to the record I knew was going to be better than any attempt at reading the chart. So I looked at the chart and started playing it from memory. And, he's, and his reading wasn't too slick either. So he's looking at the chart and he's looking at the, my hands and he, a few bars go by and he stops me and goes, wait, wait, are you, are you reading that chart or are you just playing it by ear? <laughs> and I yeah. said, I'm, I'm playing it by ear. And you, you visibly got a kick out of that. Yeah. Know? So. So the the way he told me, and it wasn't like you have the gig. He just said, "This was Saturday night, and it was just him and and Bob Rice there." Uh huh. And, and your so, brother's still there, and my right? My brother's there. Yeah, and he's you know he's. It must have been something to witness, you know. It, yeah, the, the, fuck yeah. The the whole thing was crazy. You know, it's like when I was, well, you and your brother just playing in your room in San Diego doing fucking you know record real to real recordings, and now you're in a warehouse <laughs> hangar with Frank Zappa. I mean, yeah. that kind of shit is rock and roll, man. <laughs> I love that yeah, stuff. No, it was it was it was fucking crazy. You know, yeah. It's like, it's, and the, and then at the end of it, what Frank said was, well. What I would like you to do is uh, come back on Monday so the rest of the band can witness your particular splendor. <laughs> now, who's so in that the, was what he told me. Who's in the band when you come back? Scott? Chad Wackerman, Scott Tunis, um, Ike Willis, uh, Ed Mann, Robert Martin, and five-piece horn section, Bruce and Walt Fowler, Paul Carmen, Albert Wing, and Kurt McGetrick on baritone right. sax. It's a 12-piece band. So you start rehearsing, and, and he says, hey, I'm going on tour. Does he tell you his plans? Uh, no, yeah. no, yeah. We had the whole schedule. Like, like we knew that we were going <laughs> to... We started rehearsing in... Well, at least I got there in, I think, late October of 1987. And the tour was scheduled to begin at the beginning of February. 88. 88. So that's four months, and we rehearsed those whole four months. Now, you've never been on tour or in, or uh-uh. anything in your N- life, not right? Not a thing. I had played in bars. At that point, you know, f- f- after a few years of, you know, what I was talking be- about before, like just being a hermit in the fucking, you know, living room making these recordings, we decided that we would try to make some money playing music. And so we, we started uh, playing Top 40 around clubs in San Diego. Right. And I was in a band called uh, Graphic. <laughs> and when we played a lot in the East County of San Diego, uh, El Cajon, in a club called Park Place, which is in a bowling alley. And then up in Vista, 
which is real, real North County, uh, up around Oceanside and yep. up there. Um, and uh, there was a place called the Vista Entertainment Center, and and we would you know we like went back and forth between these two clubs that were like an hour right. apart from each other. And uh, so I had, but I had no profile in the public at all except for people that would go to bars in, in yeah. San Diego. I mean, you got to be shitting your pants. You're walking into. I mean, I was talking to uh, I was talking to Rudy Sarzo about this, and uh, you know, it's like when I played with him and a couple guys, uh, Tracy Guns and uh, a guy Brian Tishy. They're a, a fucking power rock band. Brian you know? is, is Tishy is ridiculous. Is an incredible drummer. Mm-hmm. So when I sang with him. You're like, oh my god, this is a fucking yeah. I just did a couple songs at the Nam show, and I was like, this is unbelievable. I played music 25 years, and to feel these guys that are crushing on their instruments, especially like Rudy's just attacking yeah, the yeah, bass, yeah. you know, and and Tishy's just this killer fucking feel, mm. you know. So what I'm trying to get at is, you walk in, you you go from a bar band in fucking you know Ocean Beach. To walking into playing with like Chad Wackerman and and yeah, yeah. Scott Tunis and shit, that's got to be like you're over in the corner. Are they judging you? Like who's well, this they, fucking they, guy? They, of course they are. <laughs> you know you can't help but do that. Yeah, and it, it's it's not like they were trying to fuck things up for me, but it, it's it you quickly determine that yeah, you definitely have to you know fight your way through this this minefield of you know and especially with Tunis, you know, yeah. it's like. Making Frank happy was was a, a nothing compared to making sure that that Tunis was satisfied, and really it was passing the Scott Tunis audition that I that I had to do in order to you know have any kind of peace of mind. Now, what kind of shit is he throwing at you, hazing wise? Because um, <coughs> Scott Tunis is like a great friend of mine, and we we talked and we argue a lot on the podcast because <laughs> he sees himself as one way, you know. Wrong. You're playing it wrong. <laughs> Keneally, you're out of tune. Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's him. That's got, I mean, because you've, you've got to be, like, nervous as fuck, like, this fucking guy, yeah. man. But, you know, it's like, it's full, Part metal, of it. it's full metal jacket. You know, it, 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 you, you get, it, it does get the job done. It's not the most, like, you know, coddling way of getting shit done, but I'm sure I'd been too coddled in my life up until that point anyway. So it was it was time to like fucking deal with this kind of energy and it and it helped me shape my shit up. There's no question about it. What kind of shit is he throwing at you? Well, I mean, when I got there the first day with the full band, that you know, the Monday after the audition, I'm in this. I'm in my little space on stage and and I'm already like just trying to process. Okay, I'm in this, this band. Oh, first of all, do you still got that same gear? Um, well, Frank is hooking me up with uh, with uh, amplifiers. No, no, you know, the first day I brought in, I think I brought in a a, a, a JC, you know, a, a fucking Roland amp. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, JC yeah. Uh, like that Metallica uses on the Queen tones, the Roland JCM uh, or JC. What was no, that no, thing? this is more like a it's the, it's like, like a the jazz, jazz chorus amp. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they use those for all their Queen tones. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, but, but for. For the type of lead lines that and you know composed melody shit that Vi was playing, and he would always use like a really, you know, a, a pretty searing distorted tone. Yeah, I didn't have you know, between my amp situation, my pedal situation. I had a rat pedal, and I had you know this this GNL guitar. I wasn't producing a pleasing tone, and at that point, I was really almost like a hobby guitar player. You know, I was, <laughs> I, was, I was trained as a keyboardist. You know, yeah, uh, and I played guitar for a good time, and. So I interrupted you. What Scott throw at you? So okay. you're in there. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm by myself on stage, like just running through shit, trying to make my gear sound good, trying to keep my shit together. You know, I was I was I wasn't prone to like losing my shit, so I was I was you know managing to to function, but it was it was intimidating. And then Scott skateboards into the room. Skateboards, yeah. Head is shaven. He's got sunglasses. He's on a skateboard. He like traverses the length of the fucking movie you know set three or four times yeah and then he's way on the opposite side of the room and i think that's like when he takes note of me for the first time yeah and i could see you know as though it was a cartoon just like the 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 yellow arrows coming out of him (laughs) Uh, and uh and and he fucking skateboards as fast as he can right to me you know and then and i look up and i go hey my name is mike i love your playing it's really a pleasure to meet you scott and he goes Hi, it's a pleasure to meet you. Who are you? What are you doing here? And uh, <laughs> so, so, fine. But who are you? Yeah, exactly. I am great. But who are you? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, thank yeah. you. What are you doing here? Yeah. Um, I, well, I'm 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 playing. Uh, I'm you know I auditioned for Frank the other night, and I'm going to be playing guitar and keyboards. And he goes, Oh Jesus! And he and he skateboards away. <laughs> That's totally him. Oh, he doesn't get a note or call or anything. Or he did, and he wanted to act like he didn't. Well, he just well, he just he had right. no use for my energy in his world at that yeah. moment. You know, I was like, yeah. what the fuck? You know, I was like, I was twenty five years old. I was obviously green. You know, I, I, I'm sure I was dressed ridiculously. I had zero fucking idea how to function in this world. Yeah, and he had. I no, love this story. By okay. the way. <laughs> and he had no faith. In my ability to to contribute, you know, yeah. all he saw was this little fucking nerd. Yeah, your GNL, um, your bad outfit, and your yeah, rolling yeah. amp. Yeah, exactly. he's like, well, what late, did we get? It's the late '80s. I'm sure I was wearing sweatpants. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I sucked. As far as he's concerned, he looks yeah. at me and he sees something that sucks. And uh, and and then so I'm like, okay, I'm just I'm gonna just keep practicing, get my shit together. He he skateboards away. Um, I'm running down some tunes, and he and he he skateboards back, and he goes. Do you know the song To Mercy Duin, which is this weird little instrumental that at that point had never been released on an official Zappa record. Yeah. So the only way to know it was, was through bootlegs. Yep. So it's like code. Do you, yep. know, do you know To Mercy Duin? <laughs> the hazing begins. Yeah, yeah. And I had never played it before. But yes, I had heard it on bootlegs and I'm still like undergoing this, this fucking you know, moral dilemma in my head. Do, if Frank is to call a song that the whole band knows, but it's only available on a bootleg. Yeah. Do I play it? Because Frank was super anti-bootleg. He didn't like people having unauthorized you know, recordings of his music. Oh, wow, that's, even fun. that's a cool thing you're saying right there. Is it a test? Do you have Frank bootlegs? You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Like, so, right. I'm, so I'm dealing with that. You know, it wasn't like... It was 1987. People weren't downloading torrents of fucking Zappa shows. Exactly. You know? The only way to know about illegal, any illegal super yeah. like you know people making these tapes in the valley exactly and the, so the only way to know about uh, you know these type of unreleased songs is through buying bootleg records yeah know, which is the super underground thing and Frank hated it because sometimes they would put out you know songs that like the entire Joe's Garage record yeah. was premiered live on stage before the album came out and. And he couldn't stand the fact that people... Actually, I'm, is that true? 
Anyway, there was there was no. I'm thinking of another record. You okay. are what you is. It was you are what you is. Yeah, you uh, caught yourself because boy, we'd get a shitload of emails yeah. there, huh? From Zappa heads. That's absolutely true. <laughs> um, no, the spring 1980 tour. Most of the the show was a bunch of songs that ended up the following year coming out on Tinseltown Rebellion and You Are What You Is. Yeah, and you know he was. Going through these songs, he ended up, you know, finalizing the studio recordings after playing them live, and he was like learning about how to treat these songs by running them out on the road. Yeah, but he wasn't ready to release them yet. And it's like comedians when they run bits, and somebody films it in a crowd and puts it yeah. up on YouTube, and it's fucking new. It's oh, not I, done I, you know, yet. I got to say the, the the completely fucking smooth. James Bond way that you deal with with somebody recording you <laughs> during a gig. Yeah. Really good, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Man. You know, you, be, you betray no, you know, you're, no annoyance or anything. It's just you just say, "Could you please stop doing that?" You know? Yeah, it's great. Anyway, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, oh, I know I, the name of the bootleg record that came out was called Joe's Garage Acts Four and Five, oh. which is like that's that is bound to piss off Frank right away because it's not real. You know, it's some, yeah. some Frank had put out Joe's Garage Acts One, Two, Three, and then a bootlegger comes out with an album called Joe's Garage Acts Four and Five, and it's all the unreleased songs that are that don't come out until the following year on yeah. the Zappa record. Yeah, and Frank was pissed off. So that's way too much background. No, that's great okay. though. <laughs> no, you got to understand because I collect bootlegs. I love bootlegs, um, and I just did a, a. I got an interviewed in a new bootleg movie coming out at the NAMM show. They interviewed me lengthy because I have over five hundred bootlegs. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, look, if the band puts out what I buy, I will buy that. Believe me. But I'm a Zeppelin freak, and they've only got like five live things out. <laughs> and, 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 and I will gladly give my money to the band. I am not that guy. I've never downloaded a song in my life illegally, ever. Mm-hmm. I just played music all my life, and I saw it ended my career. Uh, one of the things that ended it was illegal downloading but if there's these i'm in japan and i see zeppelin all the garden shows i'm buying them (laughs) and then when zeppelin puts them out they're going to be better and i'll buy those from zeppelin well i'm not you know but i I, at this point i don't i would never consider buying a bootleg because everything's online you know yeah i get Uh, it oh yeah on youtube all the shit's on on youtube and 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 you know i have a weird relationship to the issue because i'm a musician at the same time that i'm a fan but you know at a certain point i just i you know i did pay for zappa bootleg records in the 70s because i was i was just a huge uh ravenous fan i'm the same way with zeppelin and uh, mostly I buy it because of the packaging. I'm like, whoa, look at this. It, cha- it opens up into a fucking I know. It's like blimp. It's, it's like it, you, you have dreams of shit like that. I, yeah. I, I totally get it. Okay, but good. anyway. So he asked you the question, do you know this song? Yeah, and I had never fucking played Tamersha Dween, but yes, I had heard it on bootleg records. So I'm, I'm in the moment. I'm assessing, okay, is this a test? to determine how much of a fan I am. Is this the police checking to see if I have broken you know, the, the Zappa rules? Or is he just curious about my you know, musicianship and my familiarity with this song? Which I'm sure the answer was C, uh, C but I'm... You know, right. Yeah, well, you're paranoid. Yeah. Absolutely. Because uh, you know Frank hates bootlegs, yeah, and you're yeah. like, what is Zappa? Is Scott the, the narc? Is he the deputy? I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Um, so I would rather that didn't run through my head at the moment, but in and, and behind all the rest of it was the fact that, yes, it's true, I had never played the song before. 
I knew given you know my my ear and stuff that I could probably figure it out, but I wasn't ready to just jam it out for him. Yeah. So I told him no, and he rolled his eyes and, and he fucking turned around and, and skateboarded away. <laughs> and uh, and so when he's back on safely on the other side of the room, I start running the tune. I start yeah. you know remembering in my head how Tamersha Duin goes. Yeah. And the melody is it's weird, you know, rhythm. It's a lot of notes. So I'm trying to figure it out. It was two Bs, and then it goes to a C, or is it one B and then two Cs, and and, and doing that shit. And I'm on an unamplified guitar, but yeah. you know, across this huge soundstage, Scott hears me. He goes, "You know it!" And he screams, and and then he comes skateboarding back, and rapid fire starts going. First string, seventh fret, first string, eighth fret, first string, tenth fret, uh, first string, eighth, you know, and just like giving me fret positions. Yeah. And I'm going, I'm following along and I'm, I'm playing all the stuff. And, you know, he, it, between him, you know, barking at me and my awareness of the song already, I like started playing it in a minute. And, and he like checked that out. And then he didn't give me shit and he skateboarded away again. And that was the beginning of probably him seeing that this might work. Yeah. But he, but he, you know, he just fucking. He gave me shit like crazy, uh, especially in the first couple of weeks before, you know, we found out that we you know, had a, a certain amount in common, and we started going out to to dinner and and hanging out. And it was usually he and Chad Wackerman and I that would go out to like Hamptons on on Highland and get a cheeseburger. And sometimes Frank would come with us, and and so eventually that all smoothed out. But at the beginning, yeah, Scott was giving me a, a yeah shit. <laughs> I think Scott. I love Scott. And and I've been in both worlds. And when I watched Whiplash, mm-hmm. I would prefer the, the the teacher in Whiplash over any other teacher. Interesting. I see. I still haven't seen that movie. Okay, so the teacher in Whiplash is a lot like Scott, <laughs> where he knows what the fuck he's talking about. He's an incredible player, and uh, and he doesn't want to waste his time. On people that are part-timers. Yeah. And I love people that can weed out part-timers because I (laughs) think there's people that get into the arts that stay too long because they don't have the right person that goes, no, man, you're not here for the right reasons or you don't really love this. Yeah. Maybe find something else. Yeah. Uh, I I, I, It's like a fourth place trophy they give out at Little League now. I don't fucking need that. You know what I mean? I think you need to be hardened up to get ready. You've never been on tour, and this is the fucking big leagues. At, at, at some point in your development, you should, you're going to get you know, really soft if you don't run up against some obstacles. Right. I'm not saying at the beginning, because yeah. at the beginning, if you have a guy like Scott as your teacher and you're nine, you're like, I'm out of here. Yeah, uh, you know, like, I'm, I'm probably with you on that. Yeah. But, but for me, at 25, it did it did precisely what you just described. It, exactly. It, you know, it it got my shit together uh, to the extent that it was possible for me at that you know at that age when I was still really like learning how to produce any kind of you know you know real sound on a guitar because I was essentially a hobby guitar player. Right. So I went from you know I I would when I was gigging with with my band doing the top 40 at the time I might play guitar on three songs during you know three and a half hours of, of the show and keyboards the rest yeah, of the time and keyboards gotcha. the rest of the time and then suddenly i'm in frank zappa's band and i'm and i'm occupying what at that point was the stunt guitar position 
which, you know, the last previous holder of the stunt guitar position was Steve Vai. So it was right. fucking huge shoes. Yeah, that's insane, right? It was insane. I mean, Scott, I mean, Steve Vai is a complete virtuoso. You're a keyboard player who plays guitar. Yeah. Now you got all these guys looking at you with daggers like, who's this guy? Yeah. So what I figured out, or tried to figure out early on was, okay, well, not that, but you know, I, I did obviously try to play guitar as well as I could and, and, and get my shit together tone-wise and what it means to, to provide a sound that's part of an ensemble and how you can serve the, the music. And you know, when I listen to recordings from that tour, I think it's, I, you know, I give myself like a C plus, but, but that's okay, you know? Yeah. And, and there's really good stuff on those records and, and Frank didn't kick me out of the band and, and in, in, in fact, he was super supportive and he would say really nice things, you know? Uh, so I, I at one rehearsal he was he was saying okay let's try can't afford no shoes and we started playing that song and it's a pretty easy tune until it gets to the B section and, at, and I think it like modulates up in a series of minor thirds after every chord progression but I didn't know what the I hadn't unlocked the key to the song and I still haven't I might be talking shit but at that point I had no idea what it did and I started fucking up on when it got to the bridge of the song. And then Frank starts going encyclopedia failure, encyclopedia <laughs> failure, uh, and uh, you know, and the band all laughs at me, and yeah. it's all like shit. Uh, so I was, you know, I, I was a little bit crestfallen, but I was like going, "Oh, you guys, you know, it's like it was, this is you, this is really fun." <laughs> but on his way out, he he like stopped to me and said, "You're probably the best new guy I ever had in the band." Wow. So. That makes you feel good, it right? It does, you know, and I feel weird telling that story, but but I don't. I'm I'm really I was really grateful that you know I flew on that for a long, long time after. Yeah. That. yeah. Did you uh, what kind of what kind of antics did you guys get in on the road? Were you dabbling in groupies and stuff like that? No, or back, my my wife at the time was with me. Oh, you were married at the yeah, time, yeah, twenty five. Yeah. You got married young, huh? Yeah, I got married young. Wow. Um, and uh, it was. It was. Uh, I didn't get involved with with any, you know any kind of shenanigans really. You know, yeah. There was there was some stuff happening, but uh, basically it was just people coping because we were on the road for yeah, four months. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love crew slut. She was a crew slut. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it. It definitely wasn't as fucking decadent a tour as previous Zappa tours had been. Right. There's a lot of jazz guys in the band. It's a different energy. I'm not yeah. saying jazz guys don't get in trouble. In fact, it was probably the guys in the horn section that got in the most trouble. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, it was, it, it, you know, and Scott was doing his thing. There's no doubt. I'm sure most of the, you know, the rock and roll stuff was, was coming, was happening in Scott's room. Um, but we had a good time, except for the fact that there was this weird-ass energy in the band, and, and a lot of the guys in the band just had 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 it with with scott after a certain point right and uh and frank doug scott you know he he understood that he was uh you know kind of unconventional in the in the way he did things and, and that he could be uh, abrasive and, and all that um but he appreciated what scott w- brought as a musician certainly but also what he brought as a person this you know this this, this real strength and uh, full dedication full dedication uh, you know, a huge amount of ability and a, a really uh, well, a true physical strength in his tone uh, and his ideas, the shapes, of, the shape of his ideas, and uh, and this very very unconventional mindset, so that it it really like fit in with what Frank was into for sure. Yep. So Frank dug him. The other guys, a lot of the other guys in the band, didn't uh, enjoy the fact that Frank's 
that Scott's uh, just step on him. Well, you know, he's he, he, they had issues with the way he had treated them in rehearsal, and then they also thought that he wasn't being supportive enough musically when they were doing solos and stuff. Yeah, I got you. Um, but this is all such water under the bridge. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. I think the, the the thing with Scott is he lost his brother, oh, and yeah. um, and back then you don't you don't know how to. There's no people you can go talk to, or I'm sure there is, but it's not not traditional like now. You lose somebody you love. You go see somebody or whatever, and you talk talk it out and yeah. whatever. So some people push that down, yeah. and they uh, and they wrath it out on people, whatever it is. Sure. Well, and, and also, you know, Scott is intelligent enough to be able to see all of that. You know, he has he has a view of the big picture. He's very perceptive. Yeah. But at the same time, a lot of the time, he just he was choosing to to behave in a way that that felt authentic to him, and and he was resentful that it, it caused so many problems for, for so many other people. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time I was firmly in his corner and I, I loved him and still love him. You know, he's an amazing, amazing person. He is man. He really is. Mm. I, uh, I, I get it. Cause I've, I've been in his shoes before when you're running a band. I, I always felt like I was the band leader in my bands and, and I never really wanted to be, <laughs> but I had to be because mm-hmm. it was like, and I would just, you know, there's guys that bring their girlfriends to every fucking rehearsal or every show or in the, they can, their girlfriend ride in the van. There's this guy that wants to get loaded all the time. And I want to get loaded all the time too, but who's going to fucking drive or, or, or book the gigs and shit. <laughs> so I get it. And, and in, in, even in, a, in an atmosphere of Zappa, I'm sure the guys were like, well, this is supposed to be fun, you know, but really it's a business. And- well, well it, 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 to me, I wish they had had more of that mindset. You know, it's like I was unbelievably grateful to, to be there and I was surprised that all these issues were coming up. I was just feeling like we should be just enjoying this, right? This is, this is amazing. And, and I even though I, de- I got their point about you know, why they didn't dig the way Scott was behaving. I, I guess I always, when I was growing up, thought that the Mother's Invention was probably like the most dysfunctional bunch of people you could imagine. You know? <laughs> and that it couldn't have been an easy band to be in, but that the, the, you just... Edman put it well. Edman was the percussionist in the band, and, and he yeah. said later on that the, that the issue with, with the group is just that there was a spiritual gap. And you you really can't deny that. I think he's one hundred percent you know on target with that. It was just a different you know the it was a group of people that at that moment in time for whatever reason were just not destined to all get along. Yeah, know? I've seen that. It's like uh, you know I've had guys in the band that are great, but this the chemistry's off. You're like ah, this guy rubs this guy wrong, and yeah. and eventually it just becomes like you know ninety grit sandpaper on raw skin. Yeah, and it can burn bright while it's happening uh and in fact you know frank was convinced that it was making it great the best well he he thought that it was the best band that he ever had i can see that because when you have tension and anger it it comes out in the plane and the uh and you get into it it does but then it goes too far it does i get it Uh, it. and i and i would say that probably most of the recordings that are on the live albums from that tour uh, come from nights that the band was actually having a good time and, and wasn't like you know throwing, throwing daggers at each other. Because by the end of the European tour, after four months of touring, it got fucking dark. 
on yeah. stage, uh, and that was no fun. But but uh, you know, they're, they're, like no one talking to each other on stage at all. Yeah, just uh, it got very workmanlike. Uh, Frank started greasing his hair back, and, and he showed up looking very straight. He looked, you know, like you know he was in the mafia or something. And, yeah. And and, uh, and the uh, we used to do two hour sound checks when we were running tunes. And having a good time and laughing. And by the end of the tour, the sound checks got really perfunctory. It was always the same four or five songs, one right after the other. Just check the sound. All right. Get the fuck out We're of done. here. Yeah. And you know, Frank's whole demeanor while he was on stage and entering the stage and exiting the stage was completely, don't even fuck with me. You know, Don't even talk to me. So he was tired of the kids in the schoolyard. Yeah. And he was basically, yeah. I'm coming in, the principal. Yep. Shut the fuck up. Let's do this and get home. Precisely. You wow. Know, the, the, the phrase that you know, Jeff Simmons, who was in the band in 1970, came up with to describe the mindset was playground psychotics. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Frank ended up naming an album Playground Psychotics after that. And, uh, and so that was, yeah, you could tell that was Frank's attitude. If, if, seriously, guys, if, okay, if you're going to be behaving that way, we're just going to you know, get through this with the minimum of fuss. And, and it was dismaying, you know, because yeah. the, 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 when we rehearsed for four months in Los Angeles, we basically laughed for four months solid, you know. Yeah. That's, that's when you could see Frank was having the best time is when he was, you know, his mouth was frozen in a, in a laugh that wouldn't stop, you know, just, right. you know, 30 seconds of painful laughter. That's what he wanted. Yeah. And then he's got all this time invested in these rehearsals and now the guys aren't getting along and he's like, all right, this is fucking done. Yeah. And especially when you consider the fact that he had claimed after the previous tour, I'm it, never doing this again. Yeah. I lost you know, whatever, I lost $120,000 and, and, you know, and there's all this drama and I'm just, I don't need it anymore. So, you know, three years later, he goes, you know what? I kind of miss playing with some guy. I'm going to get a band together. We'll go on the road. It'll be he fun. goes, oh, oops, yeah. I was right. Yeah. This sucks. Okay. <laughs> this time I lose $400,000 <laughs> and get my heart broken in the process because, you know, I just wanted to like fucking go out there, probably continue touring. There were another 10 weeks of dates uh, in the west coast and the midwest of the u.s because we only played on the east coast basically and and into the midwest but the whole left half of the country practically we didn't touch we we did two months in the east coast and u.s and then we went to europe for two months and then frank broke up the band we never got to do the rest of the u.s basically basically says you don't get along with scott we're out of here and that's what he did and this is the way i remember it was that he he came to me and said we're, we have these dates later in the year. If, if Scott Tunis is the bass player, will you do the dates? And I said, yes, absolutely, of course. And then I've heard conflicting reports. Uh, what Frank claimed is that no one else in the band said that they wanted to tour with Scott in the band. And so in his mind, it was an attempted mutiny, kind of, where, where they, they were in, insisting that another bass player be brought in. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know. I wasn't there, so I don't know if that's true. In retrospect, several people in the band claimed that they say they did want to play with Scott, but for whatever reason, Frank's perception, and in fact, he at one point he was saying nobody in the band wanted to play with Scott. Yeah. And I called him and said, Frank, I know this is stupid, but I would really appreciate it if you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, because you know? yeah, I said I, I do. Yeah I, yeah, I wanted to play with Scott. Obviously, I wanted to keep playing in Frank's band you know, forever yeah. at that point. And I love Scott, so I yeah I was I didn't say no to that, and and he said oh, oh right. you know he was like you know kind of grumpy about it, but at that point when I whenever he talked about it in interviews he made a point of that so, yeah so I was grateful, um, and then that and was he, it and that was it yeah uh, so all of a sudden you're in Zappa you're in your dream and everything and then it's gone yeah it just, you go home to San Diego what do you do 
I uh, I sit in the backyard because the last thing I heard from Frank was that he wanted to go out with a, a six piece band that was that was going to be uh, Scott Tunis, um, Mats and Morgan, who were these two Swedish guys that we played with in the Stockholm show, who played drums and keyboard and were fantastic. Ray White on guitar and vocals, who hadn't been on the on the previous tour, so I hadn't played with with Ray. And that was it. It was going to be a six-piece band, and I would be in the band. It would be a six-piece band rather than a 12-piece band, and he was looking forward to getting out with a smaller group. And he really wanted to play with Mots and Morgan because they were really young. They were like 16 and 19. Yeah. And they came in, and they played to Mercy Duin, of all things, the same thing Hilarious. that I auditioned with. with well, I auditioned for Scott with. And, uh, and they nailed it. And, yeah. so, and, and they had such... You know, positive energy. They were just so happy to be on stage playing Frank stuff. Yeah. And at that point, things were starting to get really dark in the band. So Frank experiences Mots and Morgan. They're just like young kids, and they're like they want nothing more than to play Zappa music, and they're nothing but you know great energy. And Frank's yeah. like, yeah, I want to do that. So Frank was excited about playing with them. So okay, I'm going home, and I'm just going to wait to get a call from Frank. And it never came. And then, but uh, gradually, I started going up to the house, and he was putting together albums of the songs that uh, that were from the tour that we did, and uh, and he would you know let me come over and listen to these albums in progress as he was assembling them, and that was really fun. And I would just like I didn't want to push him, but you know eventually I said, "Do you think you could consider going on the road again?" And at that point, he had already been doing a bunch of interviews where he was talking about. How what a horrible experience it ended up being for him. Yeah, and he just like he was disgusted that I even asked him. <laughs> yeah, he literally just like stood up and shook his head and left the room. And I, well, felt, I felt you're like, like fucking, fuck. Yeah, I felt like an idiot, you know. So you know it's over. But I wouldn't have asked him if he hadn't like told me at one point we're, yeah, we're yeah. going on the road. Yeah, that, I, I, <laughs> I think it's like like I'm like that too. Like you'll talk to somebody and they'll go like, yeah, man, we should do some dates together. You know, like I'm a comedian now. And, mm-hmm. and I take that as like, okay, we're, we're going to do some dates right, together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> and yeah. other people in their mind, uh, they've got a whole life going on. And so you're going like, are we going to be doing these dates? Yeah. No, I mean, you know what, what I was, it was my first thing ever. You know, I was still green as shit at yeah. that point. So obviously you do it for 20 years and you realize, okay, people say shit all the time. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I also, I also don't question the fact that in that moment, it was, you know, at the, it was right at the end of the last show. Yeah. And, and, I, and he invited me into his – he was like speaking to each member of the band individually in his, in his dressing room. And then he came out and he's like, Dr. Keneally, you know, would, would you please step in here? And, uh, and, you know, and he told me that he appreciated the fact that I was like – you know, there and, and trying to do a good job during, during the tour. And then he said that he wanted to, to go back out and do the rest of the, the 10 weeks of dates that he had booked with this, you know, six piece group. Yeah. And that was the last I heard about it, you know? So, right. But, and at, at that point it felt like something reasonably official. Absolutely. But I didn't have any, any sort of like machinery in place as a, you know, somebody who was really new to the business on what the next step is there. How do you, you know, do you, I wasn't calling his office every week to, to check on the, the reality of that. I was just like waiting to get a phone call. Yeah. And, uh, because I didn't want to bug him and I, I started seeing these interviews coming out and I knew that he had, you know, really been, uh, stung by the way that, that tour went down and it was totally understandable. Yeah. So if he had decided that he didn't want to tour anymore, it made sense. I just never got the call. You know? Yeah, yeah. He just. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a kind of guy. I think artists are weird when they um, 
when you're looking for the the gig, when you're looking for a gig, when you're in limbo, it's the worst thing as an artist. I yeah, think. it's not. It's not good. It feels horrible because <laughs> uh-huh. you're like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, and it, and it happens, and it, it still happens to me. You know, and and I and it's it's just a thing that you have to make. You have to always have a, this little you know question mark in the back of your mind, and and. And then you just have to dance that dance of okay, how much do you push it to try to find out if this thing is real or not? So right, yeah. And then at a certain point, you just have to like say, "Fuck, you know, I can't let this fuck with me at all. If it happens, it happens. I'm just going to get on with life." You know? Yeah. But at that point, you may have lost some some work because of you know you were holding. The you're time. so right, man, because yeah. you know you're leaving these holes in your calendar, and the other shit's going by. But you know what? Yeah. Whatever. That's yeah. Life. <laughs> what, at what point do you start playing with Dweezil? Well, I, I was like so into being a part of the the, the Zappa thing that you know, after the the Frank uh, band stopped, I was still going up to the house whenever I could and and, and listening to music up up there with them and stuff. And I was grateful to have that. And then Dweezil at that point was playing in a trio with Scott Tunis and Josh Freeze, and right. all they were doing was rehearsing and. Dweezil was writing just endless instrumental music, this like these crazy structures, and uh, and then he would like work them out with Scott and Chad, who were both brilliant at decoding the the weird stuff that Dweezil was writing. Because Dweezil's totally instinctive at that point; he he didn't have theory. He just heard this music and he was expressing it on the guitar. And there was rarely you know two bars in the, in the same time signature next to each other he was you know writing really he's trying to out be i mean if your dad zappa you got to be maybe extra wacky i wouldn't say that that was part of the equation i think it, this this was it had to do with the fact that he grew up in frank's house and 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 heard and heard this music a lot right. but i do think that his his uh constructions and his approach and his phraseology was unique to him you know and and but it was definitely weird uh, and i think that it, that that was just the music. He grew up hearing Frank's music. And he grew up hearing Van Halen. Yeah, you know, and he that's grew- what he told me. He said for years he never even heard any other music except Frank. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, he played. I think he played baseball. He said he was like his his dream was to become a, a pro baseball player. Well, he's and, good. He's good. Yeah. And then he hears Eddie Van Halen. He's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> he tells yeah. a great story of Eddie Van Halen coming over to the house. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's obviously that had a, a, a huge impact, and and uh, and Dweezil grew insanely quickly as a guitar player. Uh, you know, it's just he heard the Van Halen stuff, and that just made total sense to, to the way his fingers worked. You know, yeah. And so he was he was executing crazy, crazy stuff from at twelve years old. He was really good. Yeah, I, I was telling him. I, I was like, I remember when I was a kid in San Fran. I was like, oh, if I could get Tweezel in my band, we oh. would be the next Van Halen. <laughs> That's awesome. I got long blonde hair, and I could be like, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, at what age were you were you hanging with with uh, with Tweezel? Well, let's see. I guess uh, at that time, what are we talking? What year did you say? Um, well, 92 was probably when you came to, to rehearse. That's the, when I met him, but I remember seeing him like, Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama, okay, uh, that kind of stuff. But I, and I would see him play on MTV and stuff, mm-hmm. and I was like, that guy could fucking play, man. Yeah, no doubt. And also, you're, in your mind, you're like, well, he's Zappa. His dad could get us on road. You know, like, you know uh, what I mean? Uh-huh, you're uh-huh. just putting it together like, this could be good. We'll be a <laughs> rock man. This is just me and my house. Dream. I don't even fucking know. Oh, I see. Okay. No, no. But you were thinking big. well because when you man. when you see guys that can play great you're like oh shit that guy can play and uh 
it's not every day you see a guy that can play like Eddie Van Halen. No, that's for sure. But it's also cool that where you went with that was I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in a van with that guy. You know, that, well, yeah. just you're like, always look looking yeah. for the the dream team. Yeah, that's cool. You know what I mean? I was a Van Halen fucking freak, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. Like fair warning, it is still two days ago it was the thirty fourth. A year anniversary of Fair Warning record. They're rehearsing some of that shit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You see that on Twitter, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still remember seeing that tour like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I saw them before that, Women and Children, and before that also. But the impact by the time they got to Fair Warning and Eddie's guitars and his fucking jumpsuits and his and his tone and <laughs> and and everything about how dark the, and evil that record was, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and oh, yeah. I don't Walk these stinking streets. Yeah, and it's yeah. like fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh-huh. and wow, the party rock was gone. This was some fucking. What is this? Yeah, no, I just yeah, like the way it looked and everything. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, the, the album cover with the people punching each other's faces uh-huh. and stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, Dweezil could play that stuff exact, and yeah. I was like. You don't see that every day. No, that's yeah. It's because he got it. You know, it's yeah. Like he heard that stuff and he understood it. He's like, it's exactly like you said. There's like, well, man, that's not. You can't deny this shit. This is everything about this is like badass. Yep. Uh, so yeah, he he. That's what that was 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 a steady diet of that and Frank's music. And when he started writing his own shit, it had the you know the technicality of the guitar playing, but also the the rhythmic underpinnings were all over the place. And it was really exciting music. He was writing great great shit. Yeah, and he had like this insane rhythm section to to like fucking nail them all together. And he had the Scott, best Scott Tunis and Chad Wackerman. They sounded amazing, and Scott was having the time of his life, you know, because he was he was able to construct harmonic uh, underpinnings and counterpoint to the stuff that Dweezil was writing. And if the, if it sounded good, Dweezil was cool with it. He's like, yeah, man, you go, Scott. So Scott was composing underneath these things that that Dweezil yeah. was writing. And having the time of his life. And then Dweezil decided he wanted to expand the sound of the group, and he asked me to play second guitar. And that wasn't the best news in the world for Tunis, even though we were pals. Really? But just because at that point I was you know, treading onto what was previously all his turf, which was orchestrating Dweezil's music and oh. coming up with, with harmonies and, and counterpoint and different things to, you know, to add to the arrangement. But... You know, to his credit, he was very you know, sweet about me being in the band. But I, I, I think at the, it, I know that it was, a, to at least to some degree, a loss for him. Yeah. But it turned into this ridiculous group, and then Amit started singing lead. Incredible! In, it was incredible. so wacky, unbelievable stage presence. Yeah, and, and almost a Mike Patton faith no more. You know, yeah, could yeah. do voices and sounds and shit. You know, Ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember seeing Faith No More. In fact, Faith No More was was coming over to the Zappa House and hanging at the time. One of the greatest bands ever to come out of the Bay Area. I th- and, and weirdly enough, the first time I saw them live was on before Patton was in the group in '88 on the European With Zappa Chuck tour. Chuck Mosley, the, yeah. we care a lot. Mm-hmm. Scott and I on a, on a night off on the Zappa tour, Tunis and I went to see them at the Paradiso. Oh, I love that venue. And and they're they were fucking great, you know. And I bought a Faith No More shirt, one of those wow. late eighties black and white Faith No More shirts. That is so cool. And I wore it on stage the next night at the Zappa show, and fucking Jim Martin is in the the audience. Yeah, uh, because uh, I guess Scott had uh, invited the band to to come to the show. Jim and, Martin was a god in that band. Yeah, he was so. I love the juxtapose of this group. 
you had this metalhead with fucking Sally Jesse Raphael glasses on, you know, <laughs> playing a flying V with yeah, the yeah. mirror pickup mm-hmm. and long fucking curly hair. And he mm-hmm. hung, his best friend was Hetfield and everything was fuck off, <laughs> fuck <laughs> off. And then you had Patton, who's this super artist weirdo yeah. who was just like, you know, writing songs like Crack Hitler and stuff. Yeah, I know. It's an uh, it amazing combination. Amazing, yeah. man. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was. But I saw them, you know, pre-patent. So it was weird how. Oh, and and I and I wore their fucking shirt the following night, uh, and I I saw an interview years later with Jim saying that that was like a dark point during the the Faith No More tour, and when they went to the Zappa show and saw a guy on stage wearing the Faith No More shirt, that that like. Game, They're uh, like, oh fuck, maybe we do count. So I, I was, can I, I can understand that when you're in Europe and it's raining a lot and there's not a lot of people at shows, mm-hmm. you start going like, man, what are we doing out here? So, a couple yeah. broke down buses. No, yeah, no, it, it does get it gets like despair at times. Yeah, yeah, definitely dark. So that I was I was happy about that. I remember Dweezil. This when I knew Dweezil was a great guy. I had met him once at uh, I actually booked you guys at the Stone. I was the guy booking the stone. You did? Yeah, I was a kid. I was, yeah, because Scott and I were real friends, and then I got you guys. I think, I don't know, I might have even opened the show. I don't remember, but we all hung at the Phoenix Hotel after, and we watched the E.T. movie and, the, oh, and all that. And, and it was a great fucking night of my life, oh, man. So cool. But I really, this is when I knew Dweezil was great. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. I only met him a few minutes here and there. I was at the NAM show, and I was looking at this, um, uh, Gibson bass. They had reissued that weird artist one, the gold one, like Scott had. Remember with the knob, yeah. just one. And I was looking at it, and behind me, I hear, "Looks like a bass Scott Tunis would love." <laughs> and I turn around, and it was Dweezil, oh, man. It just, I was just like, "This is a good dude," because mm-hmm. he remembered me, and uh, you know. So um, cool. that 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 must have been fun, right? Out doing that. Oh, that that was really fun. That was really fun. It was, and that stayed fun for a long time. So that was cool. We had like at least three years uh, of a really good time. And then, uh, you know, Josh left. Joe Travers came in, and that was awesome. Uh, Scott left, and Brian Beller came in, and, <laughs> and Brian ended up. You know, he's been playing bass in my band for twenty-two years now. So wow. So it's a lot of stuff came together in Dweezil's band, and. Uh, yeah, we had a good time and and stuff like playing that mel that medley. Yeah, uh, let's talk about that. One hundred and fifty songs. And then it got up to two hundred by the 200. time it was done. How 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 hard was that to remember? Did you have notes, cheater notes, or anything? We, we didn't. I don't. I don't know if anybody ever wrote anything down. We, That's we, fucking crazy. All we did was rehearse. Uh, Dweezil had inherited Frank's taste for rehearsing because you know he understood. As Frank did, that the only way you can get a band to the degree of you know fucking mind blowing that that Frank wanted and that Dweezil now wanted is to just rehearse forever. Uh, you know, when I was in Frank's band, we rehearsed for four months, eight hours a day, five days a week, wow. and, then, and then we went on the road for four months. So you, we, know, you know what's amazing is I love to rehearse, and you'll get these band guys that hate it. Yeah, and when you get band guys that hate it, it feels horrible in the room, doesn't it? Because you're just like, this guy does not want to be here. But they'll sit home and watch TV all day. (laughs) And you're like, why would you watch TV instead of playing instrument all fucking day, man? We're in here playing rock. It's it's players who aren't destined to play together is is, is all that's about. You know, you just got to move on. Yeah. Um, But yeah, 
Frank wanted to fuck with people. He he wanted people's minds to be completely blown when they came to the show. So we rehearsed forever, and Dweezil wanted to do the same thing. So at some point, we were going to be playing at you know we rehearsed at Joe's Garage, the the facility that that Frank had. Yep. And Dweezil and Ahmet were inviting a bunch of friends over. Uh, it was Moon's birthday. It was it was a Moon's birthday party. Oh, that's at Joe's right. Garage. He said that. Yeah. And uh, and that was the first time that we ever played that mel- that medley. And at that point, I think there were only like. 30 songs in it. Yeah. So it was over in probably six minutes. And then at some point, we were going to start playing some live shows, and Dweezil said, hey, let's expand that. Wouldn't it be cool if it was 70 songs from the 70s? I said, okay, let's do that. So we more than doubled the length of it. And then, you know, you just you run these little, these little segues, these joins between the songs. Yeah. And it's all about finding the pivot point and, uh, between one song and the next one. And sometimes the pivot point is a note in a riff. Yeah, and then you might suddenly find yourself going Oral from lyric. like Mississippi Queen into you know Live in Love and Made or something like that. Yeah, you know, right in the middle of the phrase. So rhythmically, it could be anything. You know, it, it it doesn't make any sense. You can't tap your foot to it. It just it's like tape edits nonstop. But we're doing it live. Yep. Or sometimes the pivot point will be a lyric. Yeah, it was always a lyric that I remembered from yeah. it. If it dropped on, like, let's say, back in black Cadillac, yeah. those aren't what you did, but the word would trigger it into another one. Yeah, and I that? remember sitting on the couch in Joe's garage, me and the drummer in my band at the time, and we were like, what? We don't even count. We don't even count, man. Did you just see what they just played? And while they were doing it, Josh Freeze carefully took his jacket off, put his burning cigarette behind his ear, and got the whole jacket off while playing one-handed this 150-song medley and re-smoking yep. while it was fucking going. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. right? So, so, actually, Zach Wilde tells the story uh, about <clears throat> coming to a rehearsal, uh-huh. and uh, and Joe Travers was playing drums at this point, and he was sitting, in, you know, right where you were sitting, and we we're running the medley, which at that point was probably two hundred songs. Yeah, and uh, we play the whole fucking thing. It's like forty minutes long or whatever. Yeah, and Zach is sitting there, you know, it's just the same way you were it's like what the, what the hell's going on and then uh you know at some point in the middle of it uh, joe like dropped one beat yeah and then you know we just continued playing and we kept going through the whole thing and then it, zach is telling me this backstage at a, at a festival in, in japan he's at, he's describing it he's standing he's drinking a beer and he's telling me this story so i'm yeah. sitting on the couch you guys get done playing this whole fucking half hour 40 minute medley uh there's one mistake that joe makes in the middle of it you finish the medley you, you all turn around and stare at Joe, and you're all like, "Are you in this fucking band or what, man?" <laughs> <laughs> I love this Zappa mentality. Just spills on forever. Exactly. Oh. When Zach told the story, he was holding a beer, and to punctuate that, he threw his beer to the ground as hard as he could. Yeah. <laughs> Are you in this fucking band? <laughs> that that goes all the way back to your audition when he said. Well, there was one bad note there. Yeah, but, yeah it's, it's true. It's true. And I, obviously, he was exaggerating. But uh, I don't doubt that the moment we finished this thing, the, yeah. you know, the the top uh, thing on everyone's agenda was figuring out why that one thing was wrong. You know, hilarious. <laughs> now you leave there, uh, leave the Dweezil thing, and you start your own band. That yeah, I I got out of. I, Brian Beller and I both left uh, Dweezil's band at the same time. 
Um, and then I, I formed a new trio with initially it was Brian and uh, Toss Panos on drums. I don't right. know if you know Toss. And are you singing? Do you sing in the band or who sings? I'm singing. I'm playing guitar. Sometimes I'm playing keyboards live, but mostly it's just like guitar, bass, drums, live trio. And, and making, how long have you been doing this band? Um, well, I've been at that point, well, this is 96. At that point, I'd already been making records for four years and very occasionally doing shows, but I wanted to do shows a lot more frequently. So I got Brian, and whenever I could get Toss, I would get him. But we started touring, and I would get different drummers. Sometimes yeah. it would be this guy, Frank Briggs, who was great. Sometimes it was Toss, and then sometimes it was Joe Travers. Right. Um, and, uh, and I would do that when I could, but just a few months into that, and actually, Brian quit Dweezil's band in a show of solidarity with me because, you know, the, the circumstances with my leaving were, you know, n- nobody was behaving, you know, properly. It wasn't super mature, and, and it, was, it was just kind of... Time to play. It was stupid the way it ended, and, and, but it was time for me to go, clearly. And uh, Scott, sorry, Brian Beller felt uncomfortable about staying, and so in a show of solidarity, he left Dweezil's band to come be in my band. And then, like, two months later... <laughs> Uh, Steve Vai hired me, you know, so <laughs> uh, you know, that was dark night of the soul for me too. I hated doing that to him, you know, but, and, yeah. and I, I could have said no to Steve. It's true, you know, yeah. but I didn't. Well, the, the thing that's kind of cool is that later on in the year, my band beer for dolphins with Brian ended up opening on the road for, for, uh, for Steve Vai. Right. So I would do a full, uh, I would do like 45 minutes with, with beer for dolphins and then go away and come back and do two and a half hours with Steve. Wow. And we did that for like 17 weeks. Wow. Uh, and Brian ended up getting a gig with, uh, with uh, SWR Bases, which definitely eventually parlayed into working at Fender. Yeah. And he was like doing artist relations and you know, dealing with product design and doing all kinds of stuff at Fender for a long, long time. And, and he learned a lot from that, even though he hated having to enter into that yeah, uh, the industry. Yeah, the other side. Yeah. <laughs> even, if, even if it's not record company, it's like music biz on the other side always feels weird. Yeah, undoubtedly. And at some point he realized that he'd had enough of it, but, but only after like excelling in that environment for like seven years, eight years. Um, and now he's full-time music again, and it's totally working great. He's got this band, The Aristocrats, that, that yeah. is doing hugely well. And he's the manager of that group. And I'm sure all the lessons he learned being in the you know, in the, in the business side of things. And when he finally left Fender, there was this real sort of uh, uh, interesting, eccentric guy that was working with him. He's like, Brian Beller, why, why are you leaving the, the music, the, the music uh, instrument industry or whatever? He's like, you just want to, what did he say? You just want to, oh shit, I can't remember what he said, but it's basically, you know, you just don't want to have your, your dick tied in a knot or something anymore. It's just, you don't want to have to deal with the, the fucking, this ridiculous industry. You just yeah. want to be a musician. I yeah. had a good phrase, which I can't remember. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The other side, <laughs> I've been on both sides. Like yeah. I booked a club and, uh, I realized later on when you're on that side of it, it's just when you're, when you're a musician, but then you're doing deals with bands, yeah. you're like, this is just wrong. No, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're all of a sudden, you're like, are you an undercover cop? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was, I was writing uh, like music reviews for a paper in San Diego, oh. and that is weird, too. Right? Because you know? you're, you're reviewing an artist, and here you are in the biz, who would easily be like, what the fuck do these reviewers know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, and, and it's also just... I was starting to meet guys that I was writing about too, and I and I didn't want that to enter into the yeah uh, uh, and yeah. 
I was trying to be, and I know what it means to be a musician making records and being on the road. So I was yep. real sympathetic, but still, every once in a while, there would be something that I would hear that I would have to write something negative about. And yeah, then, it's like when I'm on this show, I want to have everyone I love on, mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes I'll talk some truth about something, and because uh, it's on the show. Yeah, it comes up. You're not going out of your way to talk shit about anybody. You're just not talking from the shit. Heart. Like it's like, oh well, I don't like that record at all. Yeah, that you know, let's say I don't like that record. If that artist hears, they're so sensitive. They'll be like, well, I'm not doing that fucking guy show because he shit on that record. And I go, well, you have ten I love. <laughs> you have ten I love. Right, you right. probably don't even like all ten of your records, <laughs> man. You fucking guy. <laughs> no, you're right. Of course, you're right. You know, it's but, tough, man, because yeah. when you're when you're as passionate about music as you and I, mm-hmm. it's tough because you're just going to say what you feel. Yeah. But so at that point, I, I, I really, well, I can't write about music and not say what I feel, but this isn't making me comfortable. So I'll stop writing about music. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Let's uh, talk about when I ran into you at the hallway uh, doing the bait gigs. You, uh, were you going to play with Mastodon? Um, that was gonna happen, but it, it turned out that there just wasn't time between the the tour legs uh, to work me into the. God, thing. that would have been so fucking dope. Um, Bron did say, you know, when they do the next record and the cycle for the next record that he wants to talk. Then, so we'll. How did that? Uh, how 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 did you get a relationship with Mastodon? Uh, Death Clock. They were they were. Uh, we did a tour with them. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So and that was incredible. That was like kind of the height of death clock was yeah. when we did that tour with mastodon that was 2009 i guess Are you guys co-headlined yeah it was incredible i talked to brendan about it you guys just had this badass like visual screens and everything was locked up into it have you have you ever seen a death clock show no i wish oh i God. did it's crazy i, don't I know. didn't know brendan until six months ago when i started oh. doing small okay uh a small Marin. when i started doing small no when i started doing baked oh baked right 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 smalls small. remember, that, remember that club smalls Oh, no, where's that? On Melrose, I used to play smalls. It was uh, a small uh, <laughs> nightclub, and okay. we'd do a Thursday night there. It was incredibly hip. Gotcha. Really cool. But um, no, I haven't seen a Death Clock show, okay. and I would well, love it is. It's 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 kind of mind blowing, and and you know, it's Gene Hoagland on drums, who's insane. He's and, insane. And Brian Beller uh, from my band is also plays bass for for Death Clock. And what Brendan accomplished in learning how to play the, those songs and also sing them, yeah, because he's doing lead vocals and lead guitar simultaneously. You know, fre- frequently yeah. he's singing the role of Nathan Explosion and playing the the, you know, the role of of, uh, of uh, Squiscar, yeah, simultaneously, uh, and that's ridiculous. You yeah, know? it's almost like Les Claypool. You know, bloop, 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 my name is Mud. All these weird yeah, the, counters yeah, and shit. Yeah, this, this weird. You know, it's, you have to divide your brain in a certain. Way. Yeah, it's like when people rub their belly and their head at the same mm-hmm. time. It's like try doing that and singing. Yeah, and <laughs> and Brendan had never even really been in a band before. All his live experience was doing comedy. Yeah, so. Death Clock started taking off, and he and he needed to do some shows. He had to develop the skill, so it's it's kind of superhuman what he did in a really short period of time. And we go out with this huge screen that's that's uh, and we're synced to them for the whole show. Uh, all the visuals, you know, is has a corresponding musical you know thing. Uh, so it's it's a it's a really powerful night. And then you've got Mastodon on the same bill, and they were playing the entirety of Crack the Sky. 
Which is amazing. It's a really, really great record and really powerful live, and they had amazing visuals, too. That band is phenomenal. And then there was High on Fire and Converge. They're killer. High on Fire and Converge, and Converge were real. Uh, that That's a... Uh, uh, you hate them or love them kind of band, a real polarizing. Right. Um, I loved them, but they were super abrasive, and they had this certain frequency in the vocal. This guy would go for a specific kind of yowl that yeah. it hits a certain frequency in the vocal sound, and that was like the in a way the defining sound of the band. They're going through these insane rhythmic changes and huge aggression, and then this one frequency. The Keeps, no. you know, just <laughs> he's like a flute singer. Yeah, well, I mean, he's 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 like saying different notes, but yeah. the, it's the overall effect of the sound. I'm over describing. I'm trying to like give you a picture. Of I got how, how insane it sounds, you know. And a lot of people are just like, "What the fuck?" And they can't hang. Was super talented, super influential band, uh, and and uh, I, I love their music. You know, it's real, I, I like fucked up music, so I, I was like into it. It's. It's fucked up in the way, you know, not, they don't sound like something like Mr. Bungle, but you know how Mr. Bungle Love is Mr. Up. Bungle. How uh, great is Mr. Bungle? They, they can be unbelievably great, you know. Yeah. The, it, the, those players are ridiculous, and, and, you know, Patton obviously is a, an incredible creative force. I saw him one time where they opened with Welcome Back, Cotter, <laughs> and he sang it in Spanish. That's it was nice. incredible. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> you know? Um, okay, now I'm going to get to these Twitter questions oh, real quick. Yeah. And while I do, uh, the last time I played with you, you had an incredible guitar that fucking lit up and shit. The Black Devil. Tell me about the Black Devil. It was uh, a, a collaboration between a couple of guys uh, named Gabe Douge, D-O-U-G-E, yep. and Wolf Navarro. And uh, you think Black- they're German? Uh, no, they're <laughs> just like guys up in Humboldt County, and they're and they're super cool. And they got in touch on Facebook and. And said we we enjoy what you do. We would love to you know make a guitar for you, and uh, and they we just discussed it on the phone. And they had real specific ideas what they wanted to do, and they would offer me options. And I'd say we'll do that. And so we just talked through it. And then they said we we want to make it you know look really you know striking. And I was like go for it, do whatever you want, you know. So it ended up being this kind of um, SG ish instrument and they were posting the uh the progress of the thing as they were creating it if you go on their facebook pages you can see this this you know ridiculous guitar just coming into being and then at nam wolf brought the guitar to me and said here and just presented it and i'm like holy crap it looks amazing and it sounds beautiful and i love playing it so i'm I'm like working with it a lot on stage right now that's and yeah and it's got the the lights the led lights on the fretboard when you when you switch pickup position it goes from (laughs) it's so cool red is uh is bridge position and blue is neck position and green is in between there's like uh some girls in the crowd and i go hey do you guys like the show (laughs) and they go that one guy's guitar lit up. Right on. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, wow, all right. That's, okay. that's, that's why you do it. <clears throat> Let's look at the questions here, which, by the way, I'm so happy you did this interview. Oh, man. What Thank a you. What a great, uh, what a great uh, just, I just love rock stories, you know? <laughs> They're awesome. Right on. Okay. I'm, glad, I'm glad I had some. I think you used them uh, all. Well, I normally <laughs> can't remember anything. Well, Zappa is a... Um, you don't hear Zappa stories every day. You know, right. you're going to hear stories every day about, uh, you know, Van Halen. 
Of course, because they're rock and roll, you yeah, know, or yeah. Zeppelin. Yeah. Zeppelin has a million stories, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, they screwed a woman with a salmon or whatever that right, one yeah. is. Well, and then Frank makes <clears throat> a song about it. Let's see here. So let me get the questions together because uh, my eyes are just shit. It's dark in this room. It is, which is kind of nice, right? It's kind of because uh, yeah, outside no, like it. it's like 90 right now. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm, the sun is a fireball. I like it in here. Uh, why, okay, here we go. Uh, first question comes from Drew W. Any chance of you and Mike touring in near Reno, Nevada? Oh, me and Mike? No, we don't tour together. Us? Well, yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. There's a, we haven't discussed it, but there's, there's a chance. You never I'm, know. Never, I'm never saying never on <laughs> shit like that. Um, okay. I, I, I mean, we could. If you should talk to, ben, uh, to Brendan about doing a baked there, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, they're up in Portland. I really wanted to do that. They're doing uh, yeah. that comedy fest right now. Mm-hmm. Let's see. How did you and uh, Brian uh, Beller meet? Um, when I uh, he came into Dweezil's band. And yeah, the, so yeah. we already talked about yeah. that. Um, here we go. Here's another one. Any chance of doing a tour with Beer for Dolphins anytime soon? We're doing a, a, a real few dates in June. Uh I'm I'm trying to finish a record right now, so it's it's really cutting into touring time. And then Satriani starts up again in the fall, you know, because I play with with Joe Satriani. Too. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh shit! I've dope. Been, I've been in his band for five years now. So wow! Right now, the Satriani band is Joe and me, and Brian Beller is in every fucking band I'm in. That's great. And uh, and Marco Miniman on drums, who's a complete freak of nature. What's Satriani like? Good guy. Oh, he's a really good guy. It's funny because Hagar said he's the best guitar player I ever played with, and and Hagar played with fucking Montrose and Eddie and Van Eddie Halen. Van Halen. Yeah, uh, no, he's a completely inspiring guitar player. I'm not going to say anybody's better than anybody else, of course. But but, but Satriani's a fantastic guitar player, right? And uh, so it's super inspiring and uh, an educational fucking trading solos with Satriani, which, which you know we've been doing on stage, and it's really really fun. And you know it, that just like anything, it like gets gets your your stuff in shape. Oh, you know what's funny is, uh, here's how I knew you were good. I was watching the video of you and I doing I Don't Know, and when we come into the third verse, which is the last verse, it's like, and then you did that, and it was lightning speed, man. I watched it like nine times. Oh, that's cool. Whoa, he just fucking killed that. Oh, right on, good. I was, you know, normally I, on those songs, that's Brendan's job to do. To yeah, do but he, uh, <laughs> you know, he threw it, okay. Uh, was there any Zappa just f- any song that Zappa just flat out refused to play, whether it was his own song or somebody else's? Um, well, the one that I mentioned that I spent all weekend practicing when he heard the band attempt it one time, Mogio, and then said, "No, we'll strike that from the repertoire." And then you know he would uh, he would mention songs pretty frequently, and if and if it didn't sound you know potentially rewarding within a few bars, he would you know just say, oh, "Forget that," you know. Like can't afford no shoes was one. There was a song called uh, "Sleep Dirt" that we spent a lot a lot of time practicing, and then we never played it live. But I wouldn't say there was anything that he refused to play on you know moral grounds or anything like that. There's yeah. a lot of songs we didn't play, but there's a lot of songs in the world. <laughs> right, right. Uh, what DVDs from Broadway the Hard Way tour are available or ready for future release? There are no official DVD releases from the 1988 tour uh but i think that joe travers who's uh, in addition to being an amazing drummer is also you know works at the uh 
at the vault, you know, in the in the Zappa. Oh, uh, he's the guy that runs that. Yeah, he's he's the the vault meister. Oh wow! And uh, I know, didn't even know that. Yeah, that's yeah. Dweezil was telling me that thing's hardcore. He was talking about how like fucking. You know, every few years they got to bake the tapes. Oh, that's they constant. Gotta, yeah, he said and, it's just, and Joe's in charge of that. Yeah, he just said it's insane, man. I got so. Uh, so I, sounds like Joe Tra- Travis needs to be the next guy on this podcast, right? Oh, that would be great if you talked to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you definitely should. But anyway, yeah. I, I know some eighty-eight video stuff. You know, unreleased eighty-eight video stuff exists, but we, you, there's no way to know whether it'll ever come out. Here we go. Any chance of you eventually doing anything musically with uh, Devin Townsend? Yeah, uh, I would love to, and and we've we've we have sent emails back and forth discussing that possibility. And as always, it's just making time. He's been real busy touring, but actually, I, I, there's there there is talk about you know trying to get some kind of project going together, and uh, you know it's just always making time to to do stuff. Yeah, but I'd love to. I think Devin's ridiculous. He's amazing. Well, shit, man, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Oh, and uh, you're going to come see the uh, show tomorrow night, hopefully. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, how, um, who's your favorite comedian? You watch comedy a lot, or what's yeah, going on? Yeah, comedy's kind of huge for me. Um, oh, that's awesome. Who yeah. are you into? Well, when I was growing up, it was, it was like I was into what, you know, any kind of weird comedy in the late 60s into the early 70s, so I really liked George Carlin and... Uh, and Stephen I, uh, Wright, stuff like that. What, what's that? Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright, I, I, I totally dug. Uh, I liked you know like weird conceptual shit like the Fireside Theater, and then I loved Python. But but as far as stand ups, I thought when Steve Martin first came out, he was ridiculously good. You know, and I would go see him live. And then you know, as I started hearing guys in the in the eighties, you started getting guys like Richard Belzer, who was like really fucking good back then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's still super talented, but I mean, he did like this really subversive fucked up comedy and you started seeing more really weird shit uh, you know, Andy Kaufman yeah you know, so, so I, I, I definitely I always enjoyed like stuff that was conceptual like that but uh, but also really funny and smart and, and fucked up in some way um, and like SCTV was, yeah. was a huge thing for me and then Mr. Show like became like the hugest thing in my they life they just shot their 20 year anniversary yesterday Mary Lynn Rice Cub's a good friend of mine mm-hmm. and they oh, cool. shot shot a reunion yeah. yesterday those are uh, those are hotly contested tickets. I mean, anybody got that that got uh, tickets to those tapings that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, right. But uh, that was when you know when that started happening in the nineties. That was the best comedy stuff I ever saw in my life. I, I loved Mr. Show. I got to turn you on to these new guys that are like fucking. Uh, I mean, the shit they're doing right now. If you're into that, check out Johnny Pemberton or uh, Brent Weinbach, yeah. who I just had on. Um, uh, Josh Fadum, okay, Rory Scovel. Uh, well, he did a, a baked. He was amazing. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, right. So these fucking guys are unbelievable, and they're in a kind of a Kaufman flavor, but uh-huh. they don't. The, when you see him, you don't go, "Oh, they're doing Kaufman," right on. which is what I hate the most. When you see a guy and you go, "Oh, he's just doing Kaufman." No, you can't. These you can only do that once. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> that is absolutely a one-time fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. But these four or five guys that I I love, um, they'll blow your mind because they're so original and they're outside the box and they're bad. Oh, T.J. Miller. Okay. Uh, okay, you, okay. You watch Silicon Valley? Uh, no, no. He's you, on sh- that. you should absolutely watch Silicon Valley because it's one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. Oh, fuck. Hands down. That's it's Mike a- Judge? Uh, Mike Judge, yeah, okay. dude. Okay. And it's uh, about, of course, nerds in right. Silicon Valley. Uh-huh. And, and it is 
Anything Mike Judge has done, Beavis and Butthead, of course, is fucking masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything he's done, I think, is so funny. And this is next level. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, thank you so much, man. And uh, where can people find you? Oh, um, if you know how to spell my name, it's just K-E-N-E-A-L-L-Y, then uh, Keneally.com. Or there's a thing called RadioKeneally.com that has all my music up there that you can listen to nonstop. And... Uh, and then just like go check out the the live dates if you're in California. Uh, Beer for Dolphins is going to be doing some shows in L.A. and uh, San Pedro and San Francisco. Yeah, and I'm going to go. Okay, right on. I want to go. Okay. And then uh, did you have fun? This? Yeah. Yeah, this was great. All right. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for for having me. Thanks here. a lot, man. Thanks for tuning in another episode of Let There Be Talk. See you guys. <laughs>